if Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blah water what's the worst that could happen right so um i put on a helmet and i go over the water ski jump and uh yeah it was uh i had the biggest bruise i've ever had in my life from that okay guys welcome back to the grab america show we are gonna be chatting with friend of the show kevin alms a little bit uh later adventure traveler and a musician Kevin Alves. He's actually this is probably the first time recording intro where the where the guy is upstairs. He's upstairs <laughs> in my house right now, sitting on my couch. Of course, Kevin has been traveling through town and has been living in his van in my driveway for some time now. Um, not well. It's been what a week. It's been about what's a week. It called, what's it called when you kind of take over a place? Um, like squatting people that squatting, yeah, <laughs> squatting at Darren's house. I'm not letting him sleep in the house, so I think that might be a loophole. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay because we're you know he you know we're it's been going all right he asked today if he could stay a few more days and i was like that's fine but that's it we're at the end well, at least our, he asked we're at the end of our little assume. adventure here <laughs> <laughs> and it's just you know i the guy's great honestly it's just i can only share my house for so long i i, I uh, value my alone time so but anyway, he's upstairs. He's actually going to come down here in a few minutes and join us for the last bit of this intro so we can get two sides of the story on Graham's historic mountain biking adventure in Banff National Park, which uh, has him looking a little disheveled for a few days after. A little hint, though. I had to, I mean, he had to, I had to slow down to not bump into him too much. So a little hint. He seems fine. And so. he's a racer. And he, like, I was keeping up. Like, I was passing him constantly. We should sign you up for the Kamikaze. <laughs> no way. We should no do way. it. Come on. I can't even go. I Come told on. him I can't dude, go anymore. No, dude, no, let's save dude, it. Let's dude, save it. Dude, we could get sponsors. Let's save it for later. No, I, I can't. Think My I ass could is so you. fucking sore. I can't even just sit. Get a I softer even sit seat. on the butt. Just get a softer seat. It's not about the seat, dude. It's, just it's my, I'm weak. just so out of shape. My, it's kind of funny because I've been, I just, I've been feeling weak lately. I feel like I'm not as strong as I was a year ago. Yeah. So, yeah. and yeah. I was like, you know what? The so chin, chin up bar is not okay. even set up. So, no, imagine me get extra 25 pounds to haul around. Yeah. I mean, dude, oh. that takes its toll. Real Last quick. week, I set up the chin up bar again and got back into my daily exercises. Uh, my ankle's just about 100%. When did you do that? Oh, I want to say like last Tuesday or Wednesday. Oh, okay. Okay. You know, because um, I'm pulling the bow now, which is I'm working out something a lot. And I figured, hey, I might as well just get back into doing everything again. And this time I'm including the running because uh, I just, you know, I need to be lethal for more than, you know, a minute and a half before I'm winning. <laughs> so why don't you, uh, I don't want to get crazy with the running, but I want to be able to at least run five kilometers. And go, not to have go to physio. Deal. Go to physio for your foot. My foot's fine. 
My foot's just about fine. It feels okay. like in the well, last two days really it feels helpful, much, and, and, much better. And it's covered by your medical. You don't need a doctor's note. There is right no to more limping. Like there's, I'm no, more, I'm not favoring it anymore. So okay, All and right. it was funny because I thought I was taking a step back like two or three days ago. And then the yeah. next day, it was almost all better. You know what oh, I equate it to? It's like as the swelling's going down in there, you're finding a new fucking thing. And it's like, ooh, that oh, still that's fucking hurts. Yeah, in it, yeah. But then that's able to heal. And then the swelling goes down more and you find something else that's a little fucked up in there. Because I'm, I'm pretty sure I fucked up multiple things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With that exactly. botch. A bunch lab. of tendons or yeah. Yeah, ligaments or something, yeah. But I don't think I broke anything. And I think I severely bruised my heel bone, which is now seeming to recover. As Why well. did you land on your heel? Well, because I was drinking. Oh. <laughs> and the other thing is I wasn't wearing my boots. So these boots have oh given god, me like a feeling of invincibility. Thing the thing. Oh, my God. And uh, I was just wearing my shoes, my flimsy shoes. You know, it's a good thing I wasn't wearing my cowboy boots. Holy fuck. I would have broke it for yeah, sure, and they would have yeah, to cut my slipped. boots off. You would have landed and slipped. Because I was thinking it's Stampede Week, and I was thinking, I can't wear my, I don't think it's a good idea to wear my cowboy boots. They're pretty tight. It's a bit of an effort to get them off. Once they're on, <laughs> they're comfy, but getting them off is a bit of a bitch, and uh, it's still a little tender to be, like, fucking wedging on it, you know? Yeah. So I don't think I'll wear my cowboy boots this year for the stamp. He was a real shame because, you know, I'm Bill is listening to this and I know he's probably got a tear in his eye, but I will wear my cowboy hat. I am. I've got a couple stampede things I got to do this week for work. So there'll definitely be some stampede. I think I might go out and buy a good hat. One of the good. Why don't you like wear your headdress or something? Can't you go dress up as an Indian for, for, uh, for dress up as an Indian? Graham, what does an Indian look like to you? Well, why are you putting a, cowboy hat on when you could be dressing up as your native ancestors. dressing up as <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a, a chieftain I don't have a headdress you know I, I don't I have no business being a chief I don't live on the reserve but uh, I don't mind wearing a cowboy hat so this, I figure it's the same as wearing my flames jersey when they're in the playoffs which right, I didn't yeah, do yeah. I didn't do that so I might not wear the cowboy hat either. We'll see what happens. Because I have like six Flames jerseys from back in the day when I was a big Flames fan. They just sit, I'll sit at the end of my closet and collect dust. Well, Stampede's here. My birthday's here. Is it your and birthday what, today? Tomorrow's happens. your birthday. Tomorrow's my birthday. 53? Yeah. No. Oh. 52. It's 52. only 2022. I'm 1970 I was born. 1970. Yeah. So tomorrow's your 52nd birthday. So 52, 52 bucks for Graham for his 52nd birthday <laughs> no. would be a real kind gesture over at grimeamerica.ca slash support. You know, that'd be real cool. If you do that, we'll give you a shout out. Um, so 52, what would you have done differently? Uh, not much. Not much? No. Nope. Where'd you have combed your hair today? We got a hat. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to have a party? Are you going on Union of the Unwanted? No, I no, I have to. Uh, no, I'm doing some other stuff. What are you doing? Taking my girlfriend for her tattoo with our friend Sean, our friend from the show, Sean. He's a tattooer. Yep, he's a tattoo artist. Yeah. Wasn't he supposed to design me a tattoo some time ago? I think you were supposed to provide him with uh, more. I don't think so. I think design. I did. I'm sure I did. <laughs> I'm sure I did that. I think it was back in the ball was back in your court. No, or the ball. I don't keep balls ball in, in my court. court for long. I don't. The keep, ball in court <laughs> was yours. <laughs> So I try to avoid balls in my court for too long. 
Not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, so maybe it was, but I doubt it. I can't see that being the case. Funny talking about tattoos. I was just talking to Henry Hablock like three days ago about uh, him doing a tattoo for me. But the flights are fucking retarded now. Oh, are they expensive now? $800 or? to fly wow. to Philadelphia back. Philadelphia. I feel like that should be wow. 350 Yeah, it should be, yeah. Is there some place like more mainstream by there I could fly to and drive? Oh, yeah, Philly's. I'm sure Philly's uh, in the Is center it gonna of a bunch of stuff. Is it going to be fucking crazy, though, if I fly into like New York and drive to Philly? Is that crazy? Well, I'm pretty no, confident I mean, behind the wheel. It's all, they're all pretty close, aren't they? I mean... Uh, but the traffic in New York's got to be something else. Yeah, but just experience it. It's all. It's all good. I am. I'm fine. I. I think I'd be fine. I'm not overwhelmed by the idea of driving. Any good experience. The only thing, actually, that's a lie. I am. I'm. I was too scared to rent a car in London. Uh, that could change. Oh, that's, well, that's different between yeah, that's now different. and then. But I just feel like, goddamn, driving into the heart of London on the wrong side of the road, on the wrong side of the car, is. <laughs> Maybe I should just go for it. But we have so many great listeners in London and my buddy Graham Gainsford, who I've been, you know, chatting with. Shout out to Graham. I've been chatting with privately, you know, on not well, just we have a private conversation ongoing on Twitter and the direct messages for, you know, going on almost a decade is offering to drive us around. So seems silly for me to take that on what I, if i was going to do that i would rather like fly to like not london maybe someplace like not in the belly of the beast and then you're like start driving and get the hang of it before but it's really just the roundabouts are a bit the, the roundabouts just intimidate me anyway enough about me what do you got well i was just looking up i mean yeah new york would be pretty close I wonder if a flight to New York is probably way cheaper than a flight to Philadelphia. I wonder how far it is to drive from New York to Philly. I mean, that would be probably a fun drive. It might be cool. It might be crazy. Maybe I just get, like, mugged or something. that happen? Or maybe I get carjacked. It's not that rough, right? might be way cheaper to New York. It's hmm. an hour and 49 minutes to drive. Really? Yeah. That's doable. I was looking at maybe flying down on like a Thursday night, getting the tattoo on Friday, hanging out with Henry Saturday, and then maybe drive back Sunday morning, jump on the plane. Perfect. Well, everybody's in church, so it should be pretty quiet on the streets. I'm just checking out. So where would I fly to in New York? There's a bunch of spots. There's three airports. There's four there's five. Well, that would give you the choice. Airports. Whatever one's probably cheapest, I guess. I mean, I don't know. All airports? Or any of them, do you think, in some part of town where I'm like, eek, I wish I wouldn't have flown here? Uh, I don't know. Well, I wish you yeah. knew that. Yeah, I don't know. I seen that movie that time where they like were all in that RV. I think Emilio Estevez was in it. And they took the wrong exit in Chicago, and all of a sudden these gangsters were hunting them down, and it really stuck with me. <laughs> anyway, all right, what do you got? Oh, it is. Well, I mean, it's two hundred dollars cheaper to fly to New York. Well, I got some quotes and uh, and some uh, and kind of like a pseudo Operation Project to talk about. Pseudo. It's kind of got to do with Kevin's uh, little chat with us, too, in this episode. What do you call everything little? 
because I'm little. All right. Could have something to do with it. Could be a correlation there. I mean, maybe I was called little a lot when I was a kid. You should make your life's work to make short jokes. I hate crime. (laughs) (laughs) It's the profound quote of the week. Darren, can you guess it? I've got three quotes from the same guy. Can can I do that? And you can try guess it. It'll be easier for you. Alvin Boyne Coon. No. <laughs> nice try though. Well, I was just seeing how predictable you were. Yeah, you're just slightly less predictable than I thought. All right, go. Uh, the perfect dictatorship would have the appearance of a democracy, but would basically be a prison without walls, in which the prisoners would not even dream of escaping. He would, it would essentially be a system of slavery where, through consumption and entertainment, the slaves would love their servitudes. <laughs> oh, how prescient is that? Okay, the next one. The victim of mind manipulation does not know that he is a victim. To him, the walls of his prison are invisible, and he believes himself to be free. And the third one. You should be getting pretty warm now on the on the guess. In the crotch. The third one. Democracy can hardly be expected to flourish in societies where political and economic power is being progressively concentrated and centralized. But the progress of technology has led and is still leading to just such a concentration and centralization of power. George Orwell? Close. Same era. Same era. Ayn Rand? Oh, no. More in George's, more in George's milieu. More in George's milieu. (laughs) From the 40s? I don't know, man. Well, I don't know exactly. Like, it's not the exact, you know. You've probably guessed him before. Probably. Aldous Aldous Huxley. Oh. That motherfucker. That globalist. Just kidding. Just kidding. Was it this episode where I called you a globalist? <laughs> you got I don't pretty know. defensive don't... about that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was. I don't know. All right. You wanna, let's do this then. What, what, what's that noise? It looks military to me. Definitely military. Probably classified too. Dish fire. Prism. Sentry Eagle. Sigma. Mannerkin. Artichoke, MK Ultra. Operation Project. Project Operation. Well, this is a little, um, you know, a little correlated to what we talked about. Kevin has an interest in UFOs as well. We talked about him, him, little teaser here. He chatted with uh, Bob Lazar like many years ago <laughs> for quite a while. It was, it was interesting conversation. So, so we talked a little bit about UFOs, but this is, um, this is, did you know that it was, uh, we just went past uh, World Disclosure Day, Darren? No, I don't care. What? I said, nope, don't care. Well, dude. What day is it? July 8th. It was, it was Friday, the World Disclosure Day. 
You didn't huh. even know about it, hear about I it? I didn't anything? even know okay. about nothing. Okay, let me read this to you. This is from Wait, uh, Friday. Yeah, I was around too, and I was this looking is, at my phone. Yeah, and th- this nothing. is from uh, this is from our friend Stephen Bassett. Are he's your friend? I don't know if he's. I don't know if he's our friend. Um, disclosure in this context refers to the formal acknowledgement by world governments of an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race, but could well refer to a long list of concerns, the truths of which still lie behind walls of secrecy. The purpose of World Disclosure Day is to provide a focal point for people and organizations to come together to assert their right to know and demand cosmic truths being withheld from them by their governments. World Disclosure Day will also help broaden public awareness of the disclosure process and those organizations advocating for the truth on behalf of all citizens. Now, just to be clear, I don't necessarily support this. I, you know, I don't need disclosure. I don't, I'm not really a fan of it anymore so much. It's kind of already sort of happened Little D disclosure has already happened, but this is capital D disclosure day. On July 8th, 1947, General Roger Ramey held a press event at the 8th Army Air Force headquarters in Fort Worth, Texas, in which he changed the just released story of a recovered crash disc near Roswell. So we all know about this. New Mexico to that of a retrieved Rowan weather balloon. In the view of PRG Executive Director Stephen Bassett. This was the informal beginning of the now 75-year truth embargo regarding the extraterrestrial presence. For this reason, in 2011, he selected July 8th as World Disclosure Day to close the circle and emphasize the need to reverse that now inappropriate policy. It's not just about lights in the sky, it's about lies on the ground. Since 2001, July 2nd has been designated as World UFO Day because of Roswell. This date was chosen as it was suggested candidate for the Roswell, New Mexico crash event. However, the era of the UFO is long over, and we are now in the era of exopolitics. That's fine. We can, we can wrap it up. What? What are you talking about? What? Uh... Let's just be clear, the WDD is not a prediction that disclosure will happen on July 8th. It's designated day to draw focus on the issue. I don't even know what the fuck that just means, what you said. Think Earth Day. Let's Say that slower. Worldwide Disclosure Day. It's not a prediction that disclosure will happen on July 8th. It's a designated day to draw focus on the issue. Think Earth Day. However, on the day the First Nation comes forward to finally and formally acknowledge the extraterrestrial presence... That date will then become World Disclosure Day, historically recognizing the most profound event in human history. Well, it ain't going to happen. We've already got Not enough gonna information. Happen. Hey, did you get your pay today? No, what pay? I emailed you. You emailed me? Your paycheck. What does that have to do with anything? I was just asking, because there's going to be a segue into the support thing, but you just fucked it oh. up. Oh. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> well, I thought you meant from the government. I thought uh-huh. they were giving us some like rebate on climate change taxes or something. No. The government why would the government give you pay on Sunday? Not gonna happen. Cause the, cause the anyway, Grab did get paid today. So head over to grabamerica.ca slash support so we can make sure he does keep getting paid because he did take that leap of faith in y'all that he could quit his job and still maintain his uh 
way of life. Livelihood. And livelihood. His, his, his life in general. <laughs> his life and his food. He's not able to really fend for himself, so he has to buy food from the store. We got inflation, so I got to pay the guy. So head over to grandamerica.ca slash support today and sign up for a monthly if you can or make a one-time donation. It is really huge. It make, Even if it's like two, three bucks a month, it makes a huge difference. And uh, if, you know, 100 people do that, that makes a giant difference. And we get to make sure that Graham keeps to podcast full time and doesn't have to go sell his body on the labor force again. So head over to grandamerica.ca slash support today. Sign up for a monthly, make a one-time donation, and we would be forever grateful. If you're getting some value from this show we're doing, you know, it's a lot of work. And we did 555 of these for free. Sign up today. Thank you very much. Bingo, bingo, social media jingle. Don't forget to rate, comment, and or subscribe to the Grime America newsletter. Bingo, bingo, social media jingle. Don't forget to rate, comment, and or subscribe to the Grime. It's been a while since we played that jingle. We're going to head over to Graham's Instagram feed for this one. Hey, you know, I, I, I was nice enough not to post that vaccine abortion meme on your Instagram. I did post it on all the other socials, but I kept it away from Instagram because you seem like against it. But I, am well, you know, I did encourage you to post it there because I do feel like that's where we'll get the most engagement. Well, you no, I mean, we've already been banned and shadow banned. So the last episode you put out from Outlawed, you, you put the title in there. You had to put that title put? in there like that. And it got all kinds of notes on it from people. Oh, silent like, weapons for quiet work. Kind of, no, oh. the last uh, outlawed episode with um, with what did uh, I Jan, put? I Jan just put Wade. whatever you had. No, oh. you no no. What you I, oh, you, you called it. You called it. Uh, yeah, it's got a whole bunch of warnings on it from oh. Instagram. Wow. Talking about vaccines have been thoroughly tested. Facts about vaccines. <laughs> so been, it was like, bound to happen. I mean, whatever. I don't believe them. That's just their opinion. So we'll head over to Silent Wars, Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars on the Instagram feed, which, of course, is that audio book we popped out for you guys. It wasn't really a book. It was more of a report, but Graham read it since we do all the... The little book. This little book from the... The little guy read the little book. It's like an hour and a half or something like that. Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, kind of bringing you up to speed on what's going on in the world today, brought to you by Adult Brain Publishing, which is, of course, a publishing company that does all the audio books and published my books, the two books I wrote, which were A Canadian Shame and In Their Own Words. If you guys want to check those out, you can do so. But uh, Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. We'll head to the Instagram and see what kind of feedback Graham got. Uh Uh-oh. From Jade Mink 628 amazing book, impacted me a ton. Many years ago. Great content, guys. From Hill Creek Woodshop. Great read, Graham. Crazy how everything in that document can be seen happening all around us today. Everyone needs to listen to this to help understand our current world. Oops. From Jake Hasleryville. I have to give that a second listen. It's such a cold, mechanical, and sinister piece. Just savage. Thanks for sharing. 
And uh, from Maiden to Mother, thank you. It's been on my reading list for a while now. So, I mean, there's a ton of these books that have probably been on your reading list for a while now. And some of them are fucking tomes, tombs, whatever you want to call them, a big fucking book that's like 600 pages and takes you fucking like six fucking months to read. Or you can listen to Graham's beautiful voice, read it to you. And simple as that, however, Adult Brain Publishing, there's a little button on top. You click on that. It'll take you right over to all of our books on uh, Audible that na- Graham has narrated. And if you, bang. If you, like, if you like Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, somebody on No Agenda Socials just made a comparison with that and Ted Kaczynski's uh, Unibonner Manifesto, which is on also on the adultbrain.ca. I think we have the only audio version. There's two. Yours is better. Oh, is there another one too? Yeah. Adultbrain.ca if you want to check those out. Anyway, I've got uh, Kevin back down from the coach upstairs to <laughs> fill us in so that we don't just... So we were sitting down here and Graham's like, you know, Kevin might be a mountain bike racer, but I was like nipping at his heels the whole time and he's saying he had to stop for you. So I was like, maybe we should sign you up for the Kamikaze, but he doesn't seem to want to do that. So I figured let's... Uh, Let's hear it. Let's hear about this mountain biking adventure with Kevin Graham. Well, I was actually Well, I was actually pretty impressed with you Graham when you were uh trying to um draft me going uh, down no, that no, hill. No, no, I wasn't drafting you at all. I was I was just cruising right by you. I, mean. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to uh, you know, correct me on that. Yeah, you passed me and then my competitive juices got flowing and I was like, "Oh, you know, you could race the kamikaze. Could happen." You think grandma Yeah, no, well? it was good though, but I'm was so out of shape, dude. I'd put it this way, we get to the we get to the place and he's like, "Okay, here it is, little place to pull over your truck there and there's a there's a hill that goes like it's pretty much straight up for like how many miles, Kevin? Like five miles or something? In or? Graham's defense, that was definitely not a ride I would probably do twice just for the simple fact that that trail has not been maintained for probably five years. We had to hike a bike most of the way up through these routes and it was super wet. But uh, where the flow stopped was the fact that we had to basically hike a bike over about 40, 50 down trees. I mean, at least it was yeah, like it was, ever, it was every five, I don't know, 50 feet. There was like three trees or something like that. It was crazy. So and considering we had to get it, we had to pay to get into the park and yeah. go on this, you know, this trail that goes between two amazing lakes like Lake Louise and, and Moraine Lake, you think it would be maintained, but, right. but I mean, I knew like two minutes in, I like, I'm toast. I mean, we we're going up like literally two minutes in. I'm like, Oh my God. Oh no. I'm Why wouldn't you drive place. to Lake Louise? No, we did. We did. Oh, we did. Then we did. Dude, it was so crazy. We should talk, Kevin, we should tell them about the experience. Like, so we drove into Lake Louise. This is on a Thursday. We drive to Lake Louise. There's no parking anywhere at Moraine Lake or at Lake Louise. So there's just cars streaming in and circling around and there's no parking. And they've got a million people in high vis trying to direct traffic and tell you to not like there's no parking or where to go. So we drive up to Moraine Lake to try and see if because we're mountain biking, we have the bikes in the back. Maybe we could get in and we're trying like just cars everywhere. There's no parking is is moved to the campsite. It's taken over like the day park and all this. 
It's a it's a shit show completely. Yeah, we're circling around the parking lots trying to find parking, and we were even telling them we don't need parking. We need to park right by the trailhead. And it wasn't until what we looped all the way back around that we just got lucky enough where they opened up the gate and they said, "Oh, Moraine Lake this way," because I don't think they cared whether or not no, we were mountain no. biking or not. Like that, there was no. no they didn't care if we were stopping off, at, you know. Basically, where we parked, there was no cars. Nobody was on that trail. And now I know why, obviously, hiking through trees and, you know. But the best part was when we finally got to the top, it was a seven-mile trail, I believe. Six and a half, seven miles. The whole trail was seven miles? One way. Obviously, we had to come back, but we came back on the road um, because we didn't want to deal with the trees. So once we got to the top, though, and yeah, we're still trucking it, you know, over the trees, but it got to a point where the trees stopped, you know, there wasn't any more down trees. And we were on that ridge line with all those rock slides and you could see all the mountains, you know, coming up to Lake Moraine. And it was just I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, Yeah. it was epic. So it was totally worth it in the end. I mean... The two downhills, the downhill on the way back and the downhill on the way there where you could see the view, was, was it was incredible. I mean, it was totally worth it. Yeah, and, and even though you're out of shape, man, like, honestly, the hardest part is the technical downhill, knowing how to go over to rock gardens, because that's what's dangerous. Going uphill is usually not dangerous. I mean, you're going to fall off your bike going uphill. You're not going fast at all, so... You know, you're usually not going to get hurt. So the fact that you have the biking skills to go down that, and I mean, let's be honest, I took you on a double black, well, it wasn't double black, it was black diamond. I took you on a black diamond on your first run on a bike with some good technology, right? Because yeah, your bike's was, from 1989 or something like that. Yeah, it's like, 89, you yeah. kill yourself. No, it was, it was a good, it, I mean, it was amazing <laughs> being on a bike, like a high-end mountain bike like that. You can just absorb all that stuff. And I mean, it was... It was pretty fun going downhill, that's for sure. It's addictive, isn't it? Not addictive enough for him to ever want to go again, though, from what I hear. Well, I'm just too out of shape, dude. Once I shed 25 pounds and my ass isn't so sore from riding, I got to ride little bits here and there because I couldn't even get on the seat at the end of that. So we stopped at Lake Moraine Lake. We took a look around, got some pictures and stuff, and we are deciding whether we should canoe on the lake or just ride back, and I couldn't even sit on my seat after Well, I mean, let's do this. Let's pick a date to lose the 25 pounds. Actually, all you have to do is just get on the bike and keep riding, and eventually you'll lose that. So I, I just hear excuses. That's all I hear. <laughs> Six months? Three months? No, I'll, I'm already started. I've already started. All right, so. two months? Yeah. Yeah, I've already started. No, Thir- not even. Like, two, by the time we go to Scadlands, I'll be, I'll be down 25 pounds. Oh, September pounds, 19th. 25 pounds by September 19th. We got a date. There we go. And then I'm, uh, that means I'm going to bring bikes, and you have no excuse. We'll find a trail. We'll jump off dry falls. Yeah, there you go. I'm no, but I mean, if somebody's place. thinking about rent, like renting these high-end mountain bikes, like, it's, it's worth it. Like just to experience that. I mean, it's it's so so different than what I was used to. I would say don't rent, buy one because then you've spent the money and it forces you to want to get on your bike and ride it, so you get your money's worth. Grams of one and doneer. Yeah, <laughs> one and done. <laughs> So we're about to jump into our chat with you here, Kevin. Is there anything you want to get us prepped up for? 
Well, I'm just basically going to talk about uh, Unpaved, which is an adventure travel show that I uh, developed with one of the producers of Amazing Race, uh, this guy named uh, Eddie Garrett. He's been a mentor of mine for a while. And uh, things started going um, pretty good with uh, me and my camera guy filming the show, and it attracted the attention of him and we decided to kind of develop it further and so this is right before covid um we shop netflix and the head of unscripted for netflix was interested they said it was good for a lot of their demographic and it was exciting and then we were in the talks with netflix and then shortly thereafter boom covid hit no travel shows no budget for anything like that. So at that time, I was kind of like, well, um, I'm all about taking action. So I decided to just, you know, start it at least organically for now. And I put it out on YouTube. And so we have a channel, Unpaved TV. Uh, but my background is I've been a music producer and DJ for uh, pretty much most of my life. And I kind of took a break for a while. And because of an injury, I ended up getting back into it. And so now the Adventure Travel Show has a lot of uh, extreme sports and adventures, but also I kind of intertwine the uh, electronic music that I create in some of these inspiring places. And that's unpaved music. Right on. Well, I don't think you got anything else there. Uh, no, I think that's all. I just want to thank Kevin for taking ground. me out mountain biking. It was fun. You yeah. know, it was it was amazing to get out in the in the mountains. And yeah, thanks, buddy. Yeah. Well, I got to thank both of you actually because you guys are the ones that invited me up here, and so far I've had a blast. Um, you guys have been great joke. hosts. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, w what was it the other day we saw? five more bears, uh, grizzly bears, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's been an incredible trip so far. And, and for me, it's just getting started. We're doing a whole tour of BC and I think I'm going to try to put a little, uh, episode together of the best bike parks in BC, uh, while I head over to Whistler on the way. So, but you know, oh, meantime, job, you guys yeah. have showed me an amazing area that you guys live in, you know? So I appreciate it. Both of you. Right on. Thanks, buddy. All right, guys. Enjoy the chat with Kevin Owls. Have unpaved in studio with us, Kevin Alves, the host of Unpaved. Welcome. How's it going? Good. How you doing? Good. Good. Another treat of in studio conversation. Is it a treat? It is a treat. Yeah. I guess. 
I like it sometimes better when neither of you are here. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're kind of getting used to being in our own homes, but <laughs> well, you did invite me. Darren. I did invite you. Yes. So, are you regretting that now? Not yet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I haven't worn out my welcome. Not yet. Just no. yet. So you're cruising through Plus Canada. Can send you over to Grams for a while too when I'm sick of you. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, remember, I got a mobile van. I can yeah. just take off. You know. So. Which are you going to Whistler or anything like that after this? Yeah, so my plan is so we're here in Calgary and I'm going to take off and go to Banff and spend some time in Banff. I saw some uh, pretty cool trails and and scenery and stuff, hikes, bike rides I want to try out and uh looks pretty awesome. I've always wanted to go to Banff. And then after there, I'm uh, going to go to Kamloops and there's some epic mountain biking and extreme sports and stuff in Kamloops. And that's on the way to Whistler. So I figured, hey, why not do like, you know, a hit list of all the best places in BC. I've always wanted to come to BC. So it was a perfect opportunity for you to invite me, Darren. Appreciate it. The downtowns in some of those uh, city, what do they call that? The Valley or whatever. They, they get a little cracky. Penticton, Kamloops, Kelowna, you know. I don't know what's going through there, but you just be aware. Well, there's a valley in L.A., and people talk about the valley there, too. And there's always... <laughs> Is it cracky? It's a butt of jokes, you know, so... The McDonald's in Kamloops uh, is always a little off. Penticton, too. Very cracky. I hope we don't have listeners there that take offense to this, but, I mean, they know. If you live there, you know. You get, you're seeing it. There's no way you're not seeing it. I guess I was forewarned if I decide I want to stop off at McDonald's, which is yeah, probably I wouldn't, I'd not be, likely. I'd watch the downtown stand. You might want to find some place on the outskirts. Okay. Or you might get some van visitors. Some van visitors? Not the kind you want. Oh, not the kind <laughs> I want. <laughs> I don't mind van visitors, but, you know, within reason, so... So we should talk about how we actually met you because that wasn't, I was there. It was an interesting story. I, I kind of didn't really put two and two together for a while that that was actually you. But after hanging out with you in the last trip with, with, uh, with Randall and uh, thinking about the time when we did bump into you synchronistically, it was pretty cool. We can talk about that. Yeah, for sure. So, well, I mean, I don't tell short stories. So, you know, luckily we're on a, a long podcast here, but basically how I ended up in sort of crossing paths with you guys was, so I've been doing an adventure travel show on extreme sports and outdoor living and that sort of thing. And, uh, I got injured while I was training for the show. Um, I was in Bryce Canyon and I was mountain biking. It was actually a really easy trail. It's actually, I don't know how they caught it, but one of the guys I was riding with had his GoPro going. So the whole accident is on the YouTube channel. You can see the whole wreck if you, if you really want to, but, uh, I ended up breaking my scapula and that's basically the big bone in your shoulder blade. And after that injury, I recovered for a few months. I was in a sling, you know, it was, it's, I'm still feeling the effects from it. So it's definitely a big injury. It's probably the biggest injury I've ever had where I actually, you know, broke a bone that big. And so <clears throat> I had some downtime and, you know, I was thinking of what to do, you know, obviously I wanted to keep going with the show and to film some good content and find some cool locations. Uh, but obviously being injured, there's not much I could really do. And it was sort of the height of COVID. 
So as far as traveling, everything was very complicated. But I just got done building this adventure van, which I call the unpaved adventure van. And and I really wanted to take it out and kind of explore and, if anything, maybe do some scouting. So I decided, well, you know, I've been a music producer and DJ most of my life. That's actually my background. You know, I've done that since the late 90s. And I said, huh, you know, why don't I just bring my whole studio, all my synthesizers, all my equipment in the van with me and just take off and go do some live music performances from these inspiring places that I would go travel to film the unpaved adventure travel show. You know, there's not much more I can do. I mean, you know, I obviously can't be on a bike or anything like that. And with COVID and everything, it was kind of like a perfect time to avoid people, you know, um, a lot of times when we're filming the show, we have to line up a lot of things and that's obviously social interactions. And so we couldn't really do that. So I took my camera guy, Nathan, and we took off in the van and I basically picked the scab lands of Eastern Washington because I've been a friend of Randall Carlson's work for years. Um, I was listening to Randall, um, I first saw him on the Joe Rogan podcast, like probably a lot of us have. And then from there, I just went to his YouTube channel and just, I absorbed everything he had. It was so fantastic. Um, you know, it's really fascinating where he goes into the geology about these areas, but then he also goes into the symbolism and the cultures back then and all this scientific data that's amounting. And I was just hooked after that. And so I, you know, listen and watch the podcast pretty regularly. And I Co said, Cosmographia, right? Yeah, Cosmographia. Yeah, Randall Carlson's podcast, which is great because I was listening and watching a lot of his old content and they really have, um, kind of a, a new spin on, on a lot of that old content. And they've been updating a lot of what they do on the podcast. Uh, some of that old content, for example, uh, he talks about um, Halloween and the Torrid's meteor stream and how that correlates. And there was a little bit of that on some of his old content, but he really dives into it on the new Cosmographia podcast. Well, it's not new anymore, but uh, so anyway, so I've been a fan of that kind of work and, and Randall and, and that content. And so I said, all right, well, one of the places I haven't seen is the Scabland feature. So I want to go check that out. So we kind of did a trip where we went um, sort of the back way from California. I live in the LA area and my camera guy lives in the um, San Francisco Bay area. So we took off from there, went north. And the first place that we hit was a... A dry lake bed called the Elver Desert. And we actually have the video. That was our first kind of video that we did where we parked the van in the middle of this dry lake bed. And there's literally no civilization or anything for like, I think, 80 miles. It's one of the best places in the U.S. to see the night sky. So it's like just an incredible location. And that was kind of like the start of this trip. And then from there, we went to the mountain range above that, and we kind of meandered through and did Mount St. Helens. And that was kind of like this uh, trip where we were, you know, kind of getting into the Scabland features. Well, sort of the, the main spot of the whole trip that I really wanted to film was this place called Potholes Cooley. And that I first saw 
uh, on the Joe Rogan podcast with Randall Carlson. And that was when I really learned about his work and was just hooked. I, I was like, wow. Especially when you zoom out and you look at the satellite images where you can really see the scarred landscape. So we got there and, uh, I just, it's called Ancient Lakes, and it was this road. We didn't know what to expect. A lot of the times when we take off, it's completely spontaneous. I mean, a lot of the stuff that you'll see in the show was literally like we had the camera, and I walk into a place, I start talking to somebody. We know that there's something great that's going to happen as far as like some cool content or a story or something, we re-roll the cameras. So a lot of the times it's completely spontaneous. So we just showed up there thinking, you know, maybe we'll find a cool spot because the last two places, you know, doing a little scouting, looking on Google earth and things, we were able to find, you know, these spots to get the van where it would look really good to film these live music performances. And so, um, this guy named Dave, which is the owner of the house that literally is on the precipice of Potholes Cooley. He literally has this, um, uh, like the best way I could describe it is like a diving board that goes out over the rocks in the cliff overlooking that. And he built his house right there. And so he asked me, you know, and Nathan what we're doing. And I said, oh, this is what we're doing. We want to film. This spot's really cool. You know, this guy, Randall Carlson, that, you know, has talked about the geology here. I've been fascinated with. So we want to do this live music performance. And he's like, well, why don't you come on the property? You can stay here. I have running water, anything you need for the van, power. And, uh, you know, write your song and do your live music performance. And I was like, wow. this is awesome. Yeah, it was uh it was pretty cool. Um, it's it's those moments where like you don't expect anything like that, but when it happens, it's it's incredible, and that's the whole thing of that spontaneity. Sometimes you gotta let spirit takes you where spirit takes you, you know. And so we're out there hanging out, and it's probably a day before the live music performance, and a buddy of mine comes into town. He's working on a data center nearby, completely random. And so I have a day that I'm just going to take off and kind of go mess around. And keep in mind, like every time I'm like eating dinner or something while I'm not working on music from the van, I'm watching the Cosmographia podcast, looking at some of these areas and like specifically looking up scab lands and like, you know, oh, I'm here now. Now I can hear Randall talk about the scab lands and where I'm at and it'll kind of make sense. And I knew that he was on a tour within sort of the same time that we were out there, but I wasn't sure exactly when. And in the back of my mind, I always kind of was like, oh, wouldn't that be cool if we ran into each other? You know, it'd be pretty interesting. So, <clears throat> but it's a huge area. I mean, when you look it's at like, massive. you know, it's, it's like a half a day's travel from one end to the other and it's half a state. Yeah. Half so, a state, yeah. so basically I'm sitting in a spot and you know, half a state, what are the odds of running into, you know, somebody, right? So it's kind of one of those things. So, and I wasn't even going to go to this next spot. So Dave said, why don't you guys go to Frenchman Cooley? which is the next sort of scab land feature over from that to the south, I believe. I was a little bit more north, and I didn't want to. I was like, nah, I, it, the potholes is where it's at. Like, let's do something else. Let's go explore somewhere. And Dave's like, no, nah, I really think you should. Dave is the owner of the property in the house. And he's like, I really think you... And I was like, okay, cool. 30 minutes away, whatever. We'll go to Frenchman Cooley. 
And so we end up driving over to Frenchman Cooley and we park the car and I'm looking over at the edge, like where the cataract is cataract being, you know, where the water flowed over kind of like whenever you think cataract, think Niagara falls. But if you took the water away, what, what that would look like, but on a way larger scale, right? A lot of these scabland features are like Niagara falls times 10, right? Especially like dry falls. And so, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see a white van go by, and in the passenger seat, a tall man with a big gray beard. And I'm like, no way. No way. And so I should say that I'm pretty outgoing, and I believe in life that sometimes you can't let an opportunity pass you by, no pun intended. You have to take it by the reins. You have to actually go get that opportunity. You have to take action, right? So I told my friend- No, and so many times, you know, you, you don't, right? I've done it before where I've, I see this opportunity, but I think, ah, and then I just get shy or whatever, and, and I don't follow through. And then you regret like, it, right? Emilio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And I mean, sometimes you got to trust your gut, and sometimes you only have that split second, right? And- uh well, this is one of those times where I literally looked to my friends and I said, follow that white van. And they're like, why? And I'm like, just do it. And so we all hop in the car. And the way Frenchman Cooley works is there's this long sort of ramp, if you will, that goes down into the canyon. You know how like most roads kind of meander down. This was like this long road that just slowly drops in elevation till you get to this sort of bottom parking lot. So we followed the pass van. I pull over the car. Two of the pass vans stop. I'm all excited. And I'm like... Because we stopped halfway down, right? Didn't we? Or? No, you didn't stop halfway down. You stopped in the parking lot. Oh, okay? right. Okay, yeah. And then we stopped ha- on the way back up, I think. Maybe. Yeah, but yeah. I but I still don't know where I was for all this. Were you, you there? Did you see my black truck anywhere? No. I was down there the whole week, You might have. Yeah, I don't think you were at Frenchman's, though, for some reason. I take a lot of sk- I skip a lot. I mean, I've done it a lot with them, so I skip a lot of spots. Yeah. Well, you also were getting shit ready for the whole group too. Yes. A lot of times, lunches and food and whatever. So. Yeah, I mean, like, look at the last tour in you know Montana. We were driving around, and we weren't always with the pass fans, so you might have been you know getting food or something like that. But I mean, I didn't really meet you guys there, right? We didn't really meet until Montana, and then we kind of put two and two together. Yeah. So. Going back to, you know, so I'm in the parking lot, I get out of the car and at this point I'm not thinking, right? Cause if I was thinking, I'd be like, I seem crazy. Like I'm just <laughs> running up to like, I seem like a groupie. What am I doing? But I didn't care. I was like, what are the odds? Right. I was like, what are the odds? This, this has got to happen. So I start walking up to the pass van and somebody notices me. And they take off. The, the what van? The pa- passenger van. Okay. okay. We, we call it the pass van, right? Like it, when we're, when, for example, I work on movie sets once in a while and it's called the pass van, right? So anybody that is driving, a, everybody calls it the pass van. So, and, and the transpo department is, is the name of the department that handles that. So anyways, just stupid nomenclature. So not the van that Randall's in, but the other one? No, both fans. Okay, okay. The okay. whole party okay. sees the, me and okay. they're like, 
who's this crazy person no. and drives off. I'm thinking that. I don't know if that's really what happened. But all I noticed is the vans take off before I could get to say hi or anything. And man, was my tail between my legs. And I felt so embarrassed. I was like, uh, uh, that was a bad idea. <laughs> you know? So at that point, I said, I'm going to leave it up to God. I'm just going to uh, make a prayer to the universe that um, if it's meant to be, maybe he'll be up there and I can say something. But at this point, I'm not forcing it. That's what I said. I looked up to the, to the sky and I said, I'm not forcing this. If they happen to be up there, great. If not, it wasn't meant to be all good. So we get back in the car. And we drive slowly back up to the top because there's only one way in and one way out. And sure enough, there he was on the left talking to everybody at the top. You guys all stopped. And so I was like, okay, all right. Well, the universe is providing. So I pulled over and I got out and I just calmly walked over to Randall and I said, Randall, sir, I want to shake your hand. The reason that I am here is because of you. And he was so down to earth and so cool about the whole thing and was like, what do you mean by that? And so I told him, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. So he's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, I'm here doing live music performances. Uh, I'm a content creator. I do an adventure travel show, but I got injured. So part of what I've always wanted to do with the adventure travel show is incorporate my music so that it's sort of like when I go do these adventure travel shows, at the end of the show, I do a live music performance. And, you know, now that COVID's over, I want to do that with a crowd, with people there that, you know, can experience these, you know, adventure travel uh, expeditions together, all of us. That's kind of the idea. And so I told him that and he's like, Oh, that's really cool. It's nice to meet you. And I chatted with uh, a number of people that were there. I'm sure some people were like, who is this guy? Casey and Milo. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the picture? I saw the picture. Did you see the picture? Graham? I can't remember. Yeah. I'm sure I've seen it, but I don't remember which one you're talking about. I'll pull it up for you. You guys yeah. keep going. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I also don't care what people think because, you know, it was one of those moments where my gut was telling me that, that this was too much of a serendipitous moment to pass up. So, uh, yeah, so that was it. We, um, I think he, we even talked about it on our wrap up show afterwards. We might've even linked here. Cause I think you gave your, your link out and people were sort of passing your YouTube channel around and stuff. And that's cool. I think we yeah. even mentioned it. Yeah. I didn't know. I, I yeah. didn't watch that one. So I'll have to yeah. go back and, and see. Yeah. These, <laughs> too bad you didn't do a video because then people could see it's like so i thought that was a mic in your hand but that's someone else's head <laughs> so here just so the audience can see or they can't see they, they can't, can't see, see but i can explain it to them <laughs> so it's me basically talking with my hands to randall and there's these two guys that were on the tour looking just with disgust just what, who is this guy? What they have is another, he they, they have a YouTube channel too. Right? Oh, that's how okay. They, they they've, also been, they've also been on the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, also, <laughs> new blood. That's yeah. that's the look yeah. of oh, new blood. That's an ancient. That's ancient presence. That, yeah. their their channel. It's an amazing YouTube channel as well. Like they them and you both yeah. do very good editing. Both you guys. Thank you. You guys yeah. would probably get along great if you got to know. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, well, Kurt, they were on. 
Grimerica Outlawed, episode 54 on the free show and 58 on the plus. So they haven't been on the regular show. We should have them on. That's yeah, cool. they, uh, on this show. they, um, they're the ones that were climbing up the mountain in bare feet, like faster than anybody. I'm like, like, I, I don't mind barefoot hiking a little bit, not but faster than me, not like they, they went up rocky terrain in their bare feet, like just faster than anybody. I guess they've been traveling all over the world in their bare feet not for the most part. That's, that's <laughs> pretty incredible. <laughs> There's a book called the mutant message down under. I've, I've read it. You have? Yeah. So, so that book talks about aliens, uh, uh, no, not, not, not really. I don't think. Not really. Sort of no, but it's actually pretty fascinating because it does get into sort of telekinesis. Well, finish your and, story first before we start switching. Yeah, gears. that's probably true. Uh, I'm ADD. That happens. So I'm no, a, no, a not at all. That's, that's what you do on podcasts. So we, we take it tangents. It saddles the AD&D. I don't think that's a real thing. Oh, my thing, God. You, don't, you can't AD&D. even say so that now. now. now we're <laughs> really on the uh, I'm on the spectrum. Is that yeah. what we would it's call it? It's a spectrum. It? Yeah. He doesn't even well, know he's on a spectrum because he's been high for 40 it's years. Go getters. Right? just go-getters. just go-getters. All those AD&D, AD&D. They're probably that's, go-getters. That's advanced Dungeons that, and Dragons, by the way. Is it? Yeah. You no. were the one yeah. that played it out. What the fuck is advanced Dungeons and Dragons? It's from the early 90s, late 80s. Like, it was a new... It you was were the... A, come on, more complicated one that came in. So, yeah, like, yeah. you have to We were know, intimidated by it, totally. We didn't too much for you? Yeah, we we're, were 15 at the time. What about now? He's acting we're like he doesn't know. Oh, so now you're like, essay, super advanced? Or? <laughs> He's acting like he doesn't know, but Darren was probably wearing the robe with the sword and going out and acting out Dungeons and Dragons. The LARPing? The LARPing. Oh, no. Is that what no. it's called? No. Yeah, LARPing. <laughs> Live action role play? That's yeah. it. I yep. was hunting and fishing and fucking is what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to admit, the beer and the, and the, Every the women got in, got in the way of D&D when I was a teenager. And up until then, it was the opposite. Up until then, D&D was getting in the way of the women. <laughs> If you weren't, let's be honest, if he wasn't uh, settled down now, I bet you'd be playing a lot less D&D. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's possible. So, some of those people, uh, the ongoing joke is they never felt the touch of a woman before. I wonder if they ever meet but, their love of their life. But actually, D&D. you do see a do lot girls of play couples D&D? that yep. play yep. those games but how many girls are in your group? None. 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 Ever. Uh, once, one time yeah. ever, yeah, since the late eighties, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> all right, back to Kevin's story. All right, so leaving off. So yeah, so I meet Randall and we talk a little bit there. Um, I told him about you the channel. Owe contact at the cabin a couple of bucks for that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, we'll call it a fifty. A fifty, yeah. Four for, for crashing the tour, bro. <laughs> Oh, uh, <laughs> you just fully admitted to it. Yeah, it is true. It is true. Yep, I did. I crashed it. Um, you know, you're not the first person. Probably no, won't be the last. No regrets. No, no regrets. <laughs> no regrets. So yeah. So after that, I told them, hey, you know, as soon as I'm done with this live music performance uh, and we're done editing, I'll send you the video. So the next day. Uh, I had this song prepared, uh, can't talk, prepared called Intervales. Um, it was really weird how that song happened too, because I was sitting in the van and I was working on the song. Do you want to play it at the end of this episode? Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. The, I won't get sued. I don't 
think you'll get a copyright strike or anything. If I mean, it's my content. Okay. It's on my channel. And Facebook keeps muting the uh, $50 Dynasty songs. Oh, my God. They're specifically value for value yeah. to be used. So it seems like just Facebook, YouTube plays uh, them, and YouTube doesn't have a problem with them. Or anything. I sent it to Kyle. I let him know, Kyle, fix it, Kyle. You'll have a copyright strike, and then you have to just go and say, no, I have the rights to this. It's funny because- but No, but Facebook doesn't seem to give me this <laughs> option. And neither does YouTube either, honestly, because they fucking got all pissed off when we were using Superman songs with his permission. Ugh. And there was like no way to, because it's not a strike, it's just a warning type thing, but it's still. Which Superman are we talking Superman. about? Superman. Superman. Oh, the indigenous, oh, Superman. The indigenous okay. hip-hop yeah. artist. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah, but I'm sure, so, but I'm sure it, it stops the, like we were talking about algorithms and growth and stuff. I'm sure it doesn't help. You know what pisses people. me off? I use that fucking Canva to make the like outro credits from we were doing the Rockfin stuff. And then when I put it on YouTube, they hit me with a copyright strike. And I'm like, you motherfuckers, I'm paying for Canva. You provided this music for me to play, <laughs> make in my fucking video. And now I'm getting a copyright strike. Like I, I'm, I'm appalled. I just it's never. It's an algorithm. I'm it's fucking not a emailing person. them. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. I know. get an email. I keep forgetting because I'm like, a... this is bullshit. I pay you guys for a service that I don't want to get a copyright strike. I write a song and I get a copyright strike for putting it out on my own channel. And I was the one that wrote the song. <laughs> so how can that bad, be a sustainable business practice? I mean, how can that be working? I don't understand <clears throat> how it keeps going. Because there's an algorithm that goes in and copyright strikes everybody, which is, a, is like a broad stroke. And then the people that spend the time That's to go not efficient, and though, like I know it's, it's not efficient for us. It's efficient for them. Can right? be, can't be though. It doesn't, it's an algorithm. Nobody's yeah, but you got to you got to answer a million people that, that respond. I mean, somebody has to do that. That is a know. good point. That is a good point. So there is someone that is hired to go through all of those. That might still be an algorithm. I'm pretty respond. sure. I'm pretty Dude, sure it's probably nobody's still respond, an algorithm. Nobody's responding to that. I'm telling it's you, still it's still an AI. AI. Like it's AI the it's whole AI way until the very the end. Like, no, no, there is no end as near as I can tell. If you don't have like a million subs, there's no fucking end to right, the YouTube right. algorithm. Yeah, unless you have your little. I don't, even trophy I don't think I've ever talked to a human being when it comes to fucking YouTube or Google ever fucking ever. I think or it's Twitter or t no, I did talk to Twitter the one time for sure when they kicked me off for good and said I was 13, <laughs> but I got back on because I said, listen, if you send me your ID, you know what it was is because after I had already been on Twitter for like 10 almost years. 10 years, <laughs> I changed the the birthday because when I first started the Twitter account, it was a personal account. So it had my birthday on it. That was a bad idea. Anyway, so then I switched it to... to Have we ADD'd much? Yeah. So then I was going to switch <laughs> it to a Grimerica thing because it was, became the brand account. So then I was like, well, we'll call the birth of the show 9-11. And then the second I did that, they're like, boom. You're shut down, motherfucker. You were only eight when you made this because I'd made the account in 2011. And How I made old were you? Well, I would have been, you know, like 10 years in. I would have been 30. Okay. But then I, I said, well, we'll say the birth of the show was 9 11 because that'd be a cool birthday because it shows the birthday on your Twitter account, right? When you go to the profile, then it would have said birthday, September 1st, 2000, or September 11th, 2001. And the second I did that, they're like, boom, kicked off of Twitter for being too young when you made the account. And I was like, well, fuck. So then 
that whole thing turned into me getting a hold of an actual person at Twitter who made me send them a picture of my driver's license to prove it was me. I wonder if they have, you know, they stole my identity. I don't think they stole your identity, but I wonder if they have. Why well, they should have verified algorithm. Why didn't they verify me when they did that? Then they knew it was me too, and then I could talk to other verified people without. Not that it really matters, but it would help get through to some people that I, otherwise aren't seeing my messages. I'm verified on Facebook and I think Twitter. I know for Facebook for sure because there's a button you can toggle that says so that you only get mentions from other verified accounts. And as near as I can tell, you can't shut that one off. So you know, there's just these. Not a ton of people, but there's people I'd like to get on the show that if I could get a tweet through through the noise, you might fucking get a hold of them. Because we've managed to book a couple of, you know, big guests just randomly through Twitter. Add another account. Just do another account somehow, right? I like, know. I know a lot of people have different Instagram accounts for different things. Like, I have one specifically I, for the show. I don't want a personal account. No. No, mind yeah. you, it probably would have been a better idea than ruining the brand with our politics. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one good thing about Unpaved is I don't really get into the whole politics thing. Like my well, whole mission, but you, <laughs> no, <yeah. I'm> just, <laughs> my, my whole mission is to get people inspired to go out and explore the outdoors and see what kind of world they might be missing or. Uh, they already go outdoors and they'll see places that they haven't traveled to and maybe they're inspired to go there and have their own adventure. That's the whole concept of Unpaved. And even with the music side of what I'm doing now, which has evolved, which we can kind of talk about, um, is bringing people together that are like-minded, that want entertainment, but also want to learn you know, maybe about the geology or the area or hear some interesting stories from people like maybe the native people of the area, you know, very much kind of like living out an adventure travel show, right? Could you imagine uh, being a, a fly on the wall when Parts Unknown was being filmed? That's kind of what I want to create for people is, a, is an environment where we could all get together and have sort of our own adventures in a unique way where we get to explore, you know, the outdoors. Cause I think people really want to seek that out now, especially with everything with COVID and everything that's happening, being in the cities, you know, it's good to get out and breathe that fresh mountain air. Was it always a plan to get, uh, try out different things? Like you try the one board and the, the other sort of equipment, uh, you the, you tried the snow ski, I uh, no, sorry, ski the biking. ski biking and, you know, water skiing for the first time. I think you got yourself injured there a little bit too. I mean, yes, so I was that always a plan to just be sort of a guinea pig and try all these sort of more extreme sports too? Or is there well, any more that you want to do that you're going to try and do? Yeah, definitely. So I think to give you a kind of a backstory of how the show got started was I started um, mountain bike racing. I had a friend of mine uh, that was a mountain bike racer and he did cross country racing. And he was like, you've got to, you know, race. I just wanted to go up to Big Bear and go mountain biking with my buddy. And he's like, no, you got to race. And I'm like, uh, I were really you, don't Were you a good race. mountain biker already? Like, or? Um, um, I was okay, you know. And, and think about it, though. The guy that I'm riding with is a professional racer. So I'm getting better every time I ride with him, you know. I always say, you got to put yourself in uncomfortable situations if you want to grow. That's like my motto. And I would always try to ride with people that are better than me. And in this case, way better than me. So as you know, I started progressing, 
you know, with my mountain biking skills, it got to a point where he's like, you need to race. Well, so cross country racing is a mountain bike that's pretty light, lightweight. It's designed to go very long distances. I had what's, up, up and down hills, I guess. Right. Like, and, and almost mostly uphill. Uh, right, the, right. the geometry is kind of set up in a way where it's better for climbing. Now, people that are really good cross country, they can go downhill, no problem. But the bike that I had weighed about 10 pounds more and was called an enduro bike. It had a coil for the suspension. It was not a cross country bike. And I was signing up for these cross country races with my enduro bike and racing these races, you know, and my buddy, it was definitely tough love because he was a good mentor, but, um, it wasn't easy. And I started to just really get into this groove where I was, you know, racing. And so finally I signed up for some enduro races and these were just the local enduro races in California called the, the California enduro series. And I really kind of got hooked on that. I had fun and I was like, wow, I'm spending all this time up here and I meet incredible people. I'm a very social person. So I run into people and have interesting conversations and stories. And I'm like, why don't I make a show out of this? I think the one thing that's missing in the mountain biking community is depth. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean that like there's no depth in mountain biking. I mean that there is no shows really that are like an adventure travel show heavy on mountain biking, but goes into a lot of depth of the sport. Uh, at least at the time I didn't know, maybe they are, you know, but from the research I did, I didn't really see much out there. And I think a lot of people agreed with me because, you know, when I brought up the concept, they're like, yeah, that's a good idea. So that's how it kind of started. And along the way I ended up, um, well, I guess I should back up and talk about the first episode that I wanted to do. And at this point, it's just a guy with an idea, right? There's no there's there's no foundation here. It's just basically like, all right, I spend a lot of time up here mountain biking. So one of my favorite places is Mammoth Mountain. Mammoth is a volcano and there's a lot of pumice there and it's a very unique type of riding. Well, I'm thinking, okay, I want to do an adventure travel show on mountain biking with some depth. Maybe somewhere close towards home where is a story. <clears throat> and so... I realized that Mammoth sits on the edge of a supervolcano that had an eruption that's fairly young that blanketed the mountain with all that pumice, and that supervolcano is still active, and you can see, you know, you can see fumaroles and you can see bubbling pots and all the same kind of stuff that you would see at Yellowstone National Park, just on a smaller level. Wow, there's a story there especially because there's a famous race that kind of started out downhill mountain biking in the 80s on a ski slope. Uh, this might have happened a little bit in Europe, but this was one of the sort of quintessential races that's like famous. It's legendary. And so not too far from home, really interesting story about the area and really cool history about mountain biking. So I said, I want to, this is it. This is going to be sort of the pilot or this is going to be the, the concept. And at the time I know I needed, if I was going to be the host, a camera guy. So I found somebody on Craigslist that was in the area of mammoth, which ended up being Nathan, my, my camera guy and kind of my partner in the show. Now we sort of do everything together. Me and him do pretty much all the show, everything you see, all the editing, all the motion graphics, 3d animation, all that stuff. Me and him 
pretty much do all the work. So I met him in Mammoth with a GoPro and a drone. I just bought that and said, I'm filming a show. I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew I needed to take action and do it and not talk about it. So we get out there and uh, that's where we started getting our chops. We started in, I think, 2016 or 17. And it sort of ended up where I ended up meeting one person to the next person. And by the end, and and you guys have to watch the Mammoth episode, because if there's any episode that's the nearest and dearest to my heart, I think that's the one we spent a lot of time on that in the post-production side, but also kind of how the story went. And I don't want to give it all away, but it was sort of one of those deathbed moments where I'll remember it on my deathbed because there's so many things that happened during the filming of that episode that are just near and dear to my heart. And I think a lot of people will kind of, you know, look at this area and be like, wow, what a cool place to visit. And I hope it inspires people to get out there and explore that area. You know, Is that in so, California? Yeah, it's in the Owens Valley and it's on the backside of uh, Yosemite. Yeah. So, so did you do the race or? I did the race. Did you really? Yes. So... It, it sort of happened over the course of like a year where I ended up meeting more and more people. And uh, the first time I ended up meeting the vice president of Mammoth, the senior vice president, his name's Bill Cockroft, and he was the founder of the Kamikaze. And we ended up becoming friends and we'd stay in touch. And I wanted to do an interview with him and kind of talk about the race. Well, it, it it sort of turned out where he gave me all the old vintage footage that Mammoth Mountain had of the race to use in the show. So we were able to like transcode all the VCR footage from back in the 80s and the 90s and put it in the show and really show what it, the race was like. Because this race is sort of the start of downhill mountain biking. And back then there was no technology in the bikes. Uh, you know, you had a fully rigid bike, no suspension, and they were trying to race down this fire road that was super steep that starts at the top of Mammoth Mountain, 11,000 feet, and goes all the way down to like, I think, 9,000 feet in a few minutes. So they're taking these bikes that are fully rigid steel bikes and trying to get them going to 50 miles an hour racing down the mountain as fast as they could and win this race. Well, that started a whole era where that race got to the point where it was so popular that Jeep and Reebok sponsored it. The, the, you know, the, the contestants. Oh yeah. That sort of turned the summer ski hill into mountain biking. Right. I mean, yeah. it was now all of a sudden the mountains like Whistler, for example, I was there in the eighties when people were starting to race downhill awesome. in the early nineties. Cause I had that mountain bike from the 80, Um, but in the summer, just imagine, that? just imagine in the summer, the whole mountain becomes full of mountain bikes now because everybody's ro- going down the ski hills, right? I don't know how long they, they, how long ago they did that, but it sure got popular in the nineties anyways. Yeah. Well, the story goes that Bill Cockroft was talking to the, um, I believe it's the McCoys. It was a family that owned Mammoth. I don't think they own it anymore, but they were the, the, the founding family, I believe. And so he went to a motocross race in for what what is it um Hollister Park that's it uh Hollister Park California there is a motocross race and it was sort of like on a ski slope or on a hill and he's like why don't we do this at Mammoth for the summer 
Why don't we try to take this same idea? There's concessions. There's people watching this race. Why don't we run a lift up to the top exactly. and bring bikes? Yeah, exactly. And it was great because it was a way for them to make more revenue in the summertime. And it was a way for mountain biking to, little did they know, sort of progress into what it is today. Yeah. Right? So they started it out and it was wildly successful. So they Look, just kept the, going. You're the number one uh, res, um, result? result when I typed in kamikaze downhill mammoth mountain fatalities. <laughs> <laughs> unpaved, unpaved TV comes uh, up. Well, I guess that's a good thing that the the seo is working i i don't know that's that's cool that 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 worked i don't know about fatalities i hope that's not any foreshadowing geez um was it pretty hairy though or oh yeah, yeah. so so going back to the start of the race so it evolved to the point there's darren trying to play the video there Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, watch that. That was good. Yeah, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that because that was wild. Like, I I thought I was just going to race the race, and then they put you on your feet and your hands, and you're crawling to your bike. You're already nervous. So, <clears throat> yeah, to kind of make a long story short, so this, you know, legendary race, this legendary race called the Kamikaze. I was your 600 subscriber. Awesome. That's good. Yeah. We we started not too long ago, so that's awesome. I'm glad that we're growing. Um, well, we'll throw it in the show notes for sure, and people should go subscribe. That'd be cool. Go subscribe to YouTube, you fuck. Subscribe to our YouTube, too. We'll probably take it down eventually, but <laughs> subscribe for now. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this is kind of a way for people to learn about, you know, things maybe in extreme sports that they haven't, add some depth to, you know, the mountain biking community. But, you know, even people that are into geology, there's some really cool stuff in the Mammoth episode about the geology of the area. And that's where I really wanted to combine those things is you might not necessarily be into extreme sports as a as a viewer, but you're going to see some high action is the goal and then also learn about some interesting places that you might want to travel and visit. Or even if you don't want to travel and visit there, we do it for you so you can see, you know, what that area is oh, like. Oh, yeah, your Shasta episode was great with you hiking up there in the in the snow and going down on your bum and all that. And that was pretty cool. Little glissading yeah, action. Yeah, glissading. Yeah. 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 I don't think I've ever heard of glissading before. Yeah. It's, it's fun. You'd it's... be a great glissader. <laughs> <laughs> Sliding down the snow on your butt. So you save a lot of time going down because yeah. it's brutal going up. Yeah. 7,000 feet. Wait. Yeah. 7,000 feet in seven miles. So you're doing a thousand feet a mile is one of the steepest mountaineering hikes I've done. So, wow, yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyways, going back to the Kamikaze, uh, it became this legendary race and they had this thing called the Reebok Eliminator where it was two people and it was sort of like a shotgun start and everybody would take off and they would race two at a time down the mountain, one or two at a time. And I think the fastest speed they got up to 58 miles an hour. Which is, or, or might even have been like 62 or something like that. I forgot what the actual. And when you see this, it's basically 
tucking on your mountain bike and just pedaling as hard and as fast as you can go on the edge of a cliff down for 3,000 yeah. feet. Yeah, yep, down. Insane. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't really want to do it, but part of the idea of the show was I wanted to be a host and, you know, I'm, I'm talkative and outgoing, so I figured, you know, maybe I could be a good host. Obviously, you know, there's always a lot to learn with that. Uh, but I wanted to kind of set myself apart and my dad had me rock climbing at eight years old. And so I've kind of been used to extreme sports and heights and things like that. So I decided to, you know, as the, the show evolved, which I'll explain I decided to say, well, instead of just doing mountain biking, why don't I do all the sports and and see if I can do it? And have you been pretty athletically orientated in your life? Because some people can easily do that. Some people have a hard time. I think Fairly yes. Good, yeah. I I thought yes. Here here's what I would say. I thought yes when I had this idea. I thought <laughs> I'm in shape enough to do this. Yeah, and yeah. there's other people in way better shape than me. And I learned this obviously breaking my scapula, you know, working out is a big part of what I'm doing. Like it's a full-time job to really manage your body, to be able to do all these sports. But I thought, yes, until I started doing some of these and realized I was in way over my head. Like what? Like which one? Uh, Like, First, like the, uh, okay, water, like the water, the water ski water, jump. Ski, yes, exactly. So I've never been water skiing, and and here's the crazy story with this. So if you watch the mammoth episode, there's a guy in there that is talking in the old vintage footage, and he has red pants on, and he goes over the handlebars. That guy was racing while we were filming the Kamikaze with me was on the same lift as me. We started talking, and he's like, hey, when you're done with the film in the Kamikaze, why don't you come down to my private water ski lake, and we'll do some water skiing, and you can film that. And then after that, we'll go do some enduro cross racing with some some of these top enduro cross riders. And I'm like, okay. And that's what I was saying about spontaneity. It's yeah. weird how I'll meet these people. And so... <clears throat> It ends up being that this guy has a private water ski lake. We get down there and it's right after filming the, you know, the race and I've never been water skiing. So they kind of give me a crash course, no pun intended again. And I get up on the water skis and I can do the water skiing pretty okay within like 30 minutes, right? I'm up, I'm, I'm able to, you know, kind of turn or pretty whatever. Pretty easy, right? If it's not rough. It's not bad. It, water, but the hardest part, the hardest part is just skis, right? getting up off yeah. out of the water. You just got to keep lean back and yeah, once you got that down, then it's pretty easy. Exactly. Yeah. Unless you slap on the mono ski or the slalom ski. Yeah, you gotta be decent. I could not get that So up. it's way easier like when we used to do it. We used it. to drop them. I used to do it a lot back in the day and you'd drop it. You'd go by the dock and you'd drop the ski while you're already going. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah, yeah. we didn't do that. And then you put your back and then you slide your right foot into behind your left kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. there'd be an extra little yeah. slot back there. Yeah. I, yeah. I could not get up it's on. It's fucking hard to get up on yeah. one ski. Yeah, so I never, during that, there was two days we filmed that episode, and 
<clears throat> the whole concept of that was I was going to link up, and part of the show is linking up with some of the top people in their industry. Yeah, exactly. So, for example, the Mammoth episode, uh, I end up linking up with uh, a friend of mine, Aaron Gwen, which is one of the number one mountain bikers, I would say, probably of all time. And he really gave me kind of some tips, and, and he's great. Uh, you know, he was up there while we were filming building a trail of his own because he actually builds his own mountain biking trails called the Velociraptor and it's like super gnarly but it's awesome I've rode it and uh, you know he really knows what he's doing and so he not only races the World Cup but he also you know builds trails and Mammoth is one of his favorite places too so it worked out well so when we went to the water ski lake I ended up meeting up with this lady named Connie Berg Bergman, I believe. And she, in 2012, was the number one water skier in the world. She won the worlds. And not just one category. She won every category. Because I guess the way it works is you can go to the worlds. I think it's in Brazil or uh, Peru or something like that. And you show up there and you can do like the slalom or you can do just regular trick water ski or whatever. Well, to be the best, you have to basically compete in, I think, three or five of those water ski, jumping, slalom trick, all of that. And she won the worlds in 2012. So that was one of the people we were staying with and we were really, you know, excited to meet her and sort of learn about the sport from her. And that's the whole idea of unpaved and the depth going into me interviewing some of these people, these top athletes. So it was pretty cool to, you know, get to spend some time with her. And so she and her husband was, um, D is his name which is also a pilot that flew in, which was a pretty cool thing. Uh, we literally like, that's sort of the opening of the show is him flying in on his plane. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so I'm able to water ski the next day, you know, I'm going back and forth and boom, that water ski jump is looming. And I'm always thinking, well, if you're going to grow, you got to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. We're here, we're filming And then I even say it, it's sort of like a catch line in the show. Hey, it's water. What's the worst that could happen? Right? So um, I put on a helmet and I go over the water ski jump. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, I had the biggest bruise I've ever had in my life (laughs) from that. I ended what up what doing, happened? How did you, bru- how well, did you bruise it? <clears throat> so Connie's like, whatever you do, the first time you go over, the, they all thought I was crazy. And I'm like, it, it's water. Like, I'm sure I could get hurt, but like, just as long as I don't land on the jump, because the jump is metal. People don't realize like it's, 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 this, high. it's pretty high. It's, right? it's fairly high. Now they <laughs> put it down for me. We filmed some of the guys that were really ripping. Like Connie's son is an amazing water ski jumper. And he went like 120 feet or like, it was crazy. Like when you watch this, they're flying over that jump. And I just went over the jump, right? Cause it's my first time. I, I didn't know what to expect. If I did that, I could have maybe killed myself. So obviously I want to still be a host to the show. So I uh, had them lower the jump a little bit. It's still probably like six feet high off the water, maybe eight. I don't know, something like that. And they say, usually the first time someone goes over a water ski jump, you're going to land backwards on your head. 
you're going to fly because it's super slick. So think about on the water or on, on the, the ramp. On the ramp. So I'm trying to give a perspective for Yeah, for, so, for so it slips up. So it's not like you stick. When you hit the ramp, you slip f- uh, almost faster. So you don't want to land. You don't want to back, land backwards. So what she's saying, bend your knees and lean sort of forward when you go over it? it exactly. And so the best way I could describe it for listeners that have gone skiing is, you know, when you're in snow and everything's good and you're getting close to the bottom and sometimes there's that like piece of plastic or there's something that goes from snow to plastic or whatever right near the lift and as soon as you hit that your skis go whoop like that and kind of shoot up because it's super super slick that's exactly what it's like you know there's water running over it but you're going from you know water to metal with a little bit of water running over the metal. So you can easily just fly off back. And you have all this forward don't momentum. Forget, don't forget you're on something solid now. So instead of the, the sinking down normally in the water, now you're on something solid. So Exactly. And you have a boat towing you forward. So you're shooting forward. It's not like you're just going slow and going over this. You know, you're shooting forward. So you already kind of have that momentum where if you just lean back just a little bit, your weight is going to it's going to accentuate all of that. Right. So what I did is I got a little bit low and I had my knees bent. And just like you said, you've obviously been water skiing. You probably know this because that's what they kind of coached me on is if you don't want to hit your head and fly over the jump, you know, on your back, you have to lean forward and you have to be really relaxed. And it's, it's a little daunting. So I did just that, and but the problem was is I was thinking about all of those mechanics. And like the best way I like to describe a lot of like when you're doing an extreme sport or I'm teaching someone how to mountain bike is it's a lot like golf. If you have, what, what did Arnon Palmer say? He goes, if I have three thoughts in my head, I'm shooting in the 80s. If I have two thoughts in my head, I'm shooting in the 70s. If I have one swing thought, I'm shooting in the The problem 60s. is when it's brand new, you don't have the mechan- you don't have the uh, the mechanics practiced to be subconscious about it, right? Exactly. So, that's, that's so you have all these thoughts going on and you're trying to manage, okay, knees are bent. Okay, I'm leaning forward. All of these things you're trying to think of, which I was doing, which I successfully did not land on my head, which was great. But what I did not do is keep my legs together bent. And because I didn't do that, I freaking did the splits six feet off of the ground and uh, into the water. And I got a bruise basically from my groin from all the, the way down to my knee. I don't even know, <laughs> but it, I was in pain. I was in pain and we filmed it all. It, you know, it's, it's all there. <laughs> Darren, Darren's got the video there, of course. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. The jump right at the end? Yeah. I really respect that sport. That's after. There it is. <laughs> Am I good? Stay in the middle. I'm good. Am I good? Oh. I mean, at least you landed on your feet, but you definitely had to let go of the rope, right? Yeah. Do you see? (laughs) 
Oh, uh, the other thing too what is that the water skis were about four sizes too small for me. I really respect that sport. It happened so fast going off the jump. The, the main thing I wanted to make sure that I did not do is fall backwards on the jump. And I accomplished that, but when I landed, I basically did the freaking splits. How's your rush? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's that pains me to to watch, but yeah, the other thing to note is that when you're put in those jump skis, I didn't have they didn't have my size. I have a size 13 foot, and it's very narrow, so it's like weird to try to like find shoes that fit and stuff. And so I think I was wearing a size 10, and so they gave me shampoo to shampoo my feet, to slide into there. So when I did the splits and I'm in the water in pain, you can't get the skis I can't off. get the skis off. And I'm like, what's worse, the pain of the skis or the pain of my groin? It was just, uh, it was, yeah. I mean, I didn't want this show to be jackass, but I mean, that was definitely one of those, you know, what, what is it, nitro circus jackass moments where I probably bit off a we little bit more. Send Graham down on an unpaved episode. Yeah, that'd be a nice collaboration. We'll just whip him down the mountain, or I'll water yeah, ski him, sure or I mean something. Well, hey, we're real close to BC. You're in gorgeous country. Why don't we all go mountain biking? I told you, I'll take you guys. Yeah, I gotta maybe. work where Graham yeah. can go. Are you when you go to Banff? Are you doing like? Are you scouting for stuff? Or are you gonna, are you gonna film anything? Or uh, are you filming it as it is, or just on your own? Or? Well, I'm on my way, own we on could just trip. put one on your head, and that'll be good. We'll buy a GoPro <laughs> just, and just stick yeah, it to your yeah. helmet. Just give me the GoPro, and I'll just get. I'll keep up to you. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, and I'll film you. And I'll, a few times. And I'll film you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Wait, you still have your 1989. You're not going to keep rally up with me. Technium. You can use mine if you want. No, even the guy said you can't use. You can't ride this bike. I'm like, what do you mean I can't ride this bike? I took it you, in. You can't. And uh, this long-haired, like hippie bike mechanic guy goes, "That's a 1989 Rally Technium." I'm like. Dude, you're awesome. How'd you know that? That's incredible. And he's like, you can't, you can't keep riding this. Thing. Like, the, <laughs> the tires are too small. Like, I guess everything's changed now, right? Tons. The tires. Can, I mean, like, what do you mean? I don't want to get rid of it. It's still got a great frame, right? Yeah. I mean, the frame is still. Yeah, I mean, you know. don't ride it mountain biking. I, if, that's what I did. I put took, I put street tires on it, and I and I just rode it as a as a as a street bike. It's just it's just dangerous. Like if I took you on any, and and we're talking like fairly normal, like. Any trail that's maybe a blue to a black, which is a lot of trails, you know, it's not super extreme or anything, but just because of the geometry and the way that bike is built, man, you could kill yourself. Dude, I was thing. telling these guys in our chats that I pulled up a rock when I was coming down from, uh, in Maple Ridge, we were riding down from the lake and I sped ahead of these guys and I was just flying down the, and I just hit these rocks and there's no springs or nothing. Right. And yeah. I just went right over the handlebars, pulled up this huge Ooh. rock with my face. Like, Ooh. and they came by, they were laughing at me. They're like, yeah, we, that was the Rocky Hill of death. They just <laughs> saw me. They, they already had a name for the thing called the Rocky Hill of death. They just saw me like oh. sprint ahead. So we'll like, rent you a proper bike. Yeah. See, you probably be really good if you got on new technology. Yeah, because oh, you're yeah. so used to riding that old bike, and you're probably a pretty well, I've, good I've, rider. I've, I mean, I've ridden, I've tried other bikes, and I never liked the suspension because you just lose that tr grip, right? You lose that, like you know, I would never want to climb a hill with with suspension on a bike because you just it's too it's too soft and cushy. And we wobbly, have lockouts like, now. 
We just lock out our uh-huh. suspension. So I have on my bike, it's an older bike, but it's still a pretty good bike, uh, a coil uh, rear spring shock, right? And there's two sort of chambers. One up is fully locked out and then down is like downhill mode. So when I go to climb something and I'm, you know, I call it yeah. settling in because yeah. it's a long climb. Yeah. I just it, yeah. flip that switch to the climb mode. Yeah. So the technology wow, crazy, is awesome. Dude. Yeah. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll rent yeah, you a bike or something and, and go ride. Oh, yeah, I, guess, I mean, dude, we'll get some people watching. If Graham crashes, for sure. It, this is all Darren wants. He just wants I carnage. I want him to excel. I want him you to want carnage. I used to trail run down yeah. the, down these mountains. I when was I running down Graham, the mountains. I, he was a beast. I was trail run. He I went was, to the top of this Chinaman's Peak, yeah. and I and my the well, guy I went with. What? He broke. He sprained both of his ankles. He was running behind me, and he he sprained both of his ankles on two white belts. He had to pack them out. (laughs) To pack the guy. Well, something. I I turn around on the trail and I see him going like horizontal down the trail. Horizontal. Something we should talk about is we we should go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. We should talk about the Shasta show. Okay. Yeah. Should we we run out of time? Should we? Oh, do because no, we got time. Yeah, we're gonna we're talking about posting your Shasta up on our YouTube channel. Okay. To get uh, our listeners used to your content and to get our listeners used to Shasta. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, it's pretty mountainy, the Shasta. Well, no, you've got the sweat lodge in there too and the crystal shop and yeah, all that. So. so I was saying use Shasta for your promotion because aren't you doing a, a We're doing contact in, in the February. cabin? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a good episode to really show a range of different things in the area that people can see and explore. Um, you know, you don't have to do like we paraglide, we mountaineer to the top of the mountain. You know, we did an Indian sweat lodge ceremony with the Couric tribe. You know, there's some stuff like that that might not be as accessible, but there's other things where when you see the area, you're going to go, oh, Shasta Ski Park. Okay, cool. We can check that out or whatever. So people might like it for that. And then there's also nine crystal shops in that town. There's more crystal shops. Which town is this? Crystal shop is always a big cack outing. There's always a bunch of people getting ready to go to that crystal shop. So they'll have a crystal shop. uh, What do they call it when you go from place to place? Like a booze cruise, but for (laughs) (laughs) crystals. What town are you talking about? In Shasta itself. So there's a Shasta town itself. We're in Shasta County, so. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's yeah. an it's an amazing place for many reasons. People go there for the metaphysical. Some people go for the spiritual. People go there for you know extreme sports. You know whatever your fancy is, that place has everything. And, and when we're there, you think the ski hill probably be open because we're there in February. Maybe. Um, I would. I would guess yes because you're there's, talking February, January, maybe beginning on the fence. There's an actual but ski hill there, though. We're also talking so. California. We don't know what the storms are like. Sometimes in California, we'll get just completely dumped on for a couple of weeks, and it's like epic powder. And then after that, no storms for the rest of the season. So it really depends. Or, or it might be a really late season. So I, I I couldn't tell you, but I can tell you that in the episode we um traverse some terrain that's never been ridden before at the ski area for their mountain bike park, which is a very unique mountain bike park. So you can kind of see that. And there's just a lot of like eye candy footage and stuff of like river rafting and paragliding off of the mountain and things like that, that people might 
you know, want to enjoy. That's yeah, Shasta yeah, there is, yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. There is a Mount Shasta ski park. It looks mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Have you skied there at all? Do you don't do you ski at all? Or do I you ski snowboard? bike. Oh god. You ski bike. <laughs> yeah. so you tried it. You tried it. Oh, I mean, uh, I have an episode on. I ski know biking. that was pretty good. I saw it. It was pretty good. Yeah. 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 I don't know if. I, what? I don't know. Was it on? What? Which mountain was that on again? That I was on was, this little cheesy mountain. Home. I feel like it's like this cheesy California mountain. I'm like, that's not a real mountain. So, well, we're not going to summit. No, no, no. I'm just talking. You want to be on a no, real ski? We do, we that do looks have like that a fairly flex day where people could go skiing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I would be down to probably maybe like facilitate some sort of adventure. How for long people. was the climb? Just oh, like a cool. day or two. It was two days, no, and, it's, and if you're climb, not, if you haven't mountaineered, I would climb. never take people to I do that. I might just want to do it. I might want to go an extra day. Well, to you got to remember, you're in February. You're in super avalanche terrain at that time. We did it in June, so there was no, you know, worries of that. It was worries of rockfall, and we did actually have, like, if you watch the Shasta episode, the second part. So a lot of people watch the first part of the Shasta episode, but the second part has all the mountaineering and the actual mountain. In the you know the summit and yeah I don't think you can even do it in the winter right? so you no you can but you really? have to be advanced so it's fourteen thousand feet fourteen thousand so I can't just show up and just go climb it with the group they won't take care of me if I'm fucking up I mean you can the problem is is it's seven thousand feet well there's probably smaller heights. dude we it's were really? just hanging out at nine thousand feet the other no, day no, no, just no. having a time hold on it's seven thousand feet and seven miles which means you are hiking with a sixty pound pack on if if you're doing base camp, if you can just make it all the way and back, you might not have as much gear. Let's say 40-pound pack. A 40-pound pack traveling 1,000 feet per mile straight up the mountain. And, I think I could do that. And that just yeah. on its own is challenging. We're not talking about now the terrain, ice axe, crampons. You know, what? what sometimes Shasta will get 120 mile an hour winds yeah, and people get it. stuck up I'm there. I'm telling you, I think I could do it. There's I a packed guy. a lot of meat out of the bush. It's heavier than that. What about Shastina? Here's an interesting story. No, we can't do that. <laughs> no, Shastina is actually right next, is part of Shasta. And oh, it's I hard. know, but we're not doing that. It's we're hard. Not doing, oh, which one? Oh, I summoned Shastina. <laughs> it's actually pretty difficult. <laughs> you didn't do Shasta, yeah. bro? No, I did Shastina. Interesting yeah. story. There's a guy named John Muir that made the John Muir Trail, which I've backpacked, that kind of goes through Yosemite and such. Famous guy from, uh, you know, if you're in California, you've heard of John Muir. I'm he climbed Shasta. He got stuck up there, and at night to stay warm, he hid in one of the fumaroles to stay warm from from the from the you know the the, wind. the fumes yeah. or the the sulfur or whatever that was coming out of the mountain, the volcano. That's how he stayed warm and survived that night. There's a story about that, which is we just cuddle up, we'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but anyways, um, so Shasta is a, a, a pretty cool place. Um, you could definitely do it, but I would more recommend mountaineering Shasta probably in the later part of the spring to summertime, or just a hike, right? Maybe I mean, oh, we could definitely do some hikes. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing separately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but if you want to go it might up be the time glacier, to climb a mountain soon. I you need to that. have ice axes and crampons, and you need to can understand how to self arrest. Yes, but you also need to know how to self arrest and proper safety. Can I just do the safety. whole little course you did? <laughs> you could. Yeah, you could. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I want, I want people to try it. I'm not saying you couldn't yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just but... saying that realistically, in February, it's probably it's a pretty bit much. 
it might be a little much. Yeah. Um, but I don't like the cold. You so. know, give it a shot. Well, why are you going up to Shasta in February then? Well, other people like the cold. And why do you live in, <laughs> why do you live in Canada? Because it's not really it's not really about well, I, Shasta. I don't like the hot either. <laughs> it's not really about Shasta so much as about where, magic. Yeah. The, the but it just happens to be we we are able to do it close to Shasta, so that's why. Yeah, for sure. We did the it's first not, we didn't one out pick Shasta. in Arizona, but yeah. now it just seems like Shasta will probably end up being home for it. It's a better event to do a magic and manifestation thing, you know? Yeah, that's cool. And and it's a great place because, like I said, people around Shasta are very spiritual, very you know metaphysical. Um, there's all kinds of legends and lore around Mount Shasta. You know, there's a, a whole... Um, legend of there's an underground crystal city called Theos that's inside of the mountain. Jesus. And uh, there's a guy that apparently found a secret door to it. And there's a lot of uh, legends around that. There's also something that's just north of there called a Sasquatch trap. And it's in Oregon. And this is one of the things that we filmed. We haven't released this one yet because it was, it was interesting. But um, there's a lot of sightings of Sasquatch. In the area, there's a lot of UFO sightings. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going around Mount Shasta. Um, and it's also a beautiful place. You know, volcanoes are very lush, right? The the soil and the terrain, it's just very unique. There's caves there, uh, you know, that are ancient, uh, what are they called? Um, uh, lava tubes that are nearby there too. So, yeah. And that's kind of the start of the, the Cascades. That in... Um, uh, what is it? Mount Lassen for the volcanoes starting to head up north. You know, you have Lassen, you have Shasta, and then you have like Hood, Adams, you know, all of those volcanoes. What so. are some of the other things you want to do in the future, Link? Um, with like, a, what, like I think about that. What's that surfing thing that you're on a bike, almost like a water bike that's got a foil on the bottom, like a, a water, water foil? foil? Yeah. Well, just recently we got into... Uh, the one wheel and electric mountain boarding, and that was our latest. Yeah, I saw video. that. I saw that episode. Yeah, it was. It was okay. It's not really. I don't know if I like the electric things. I'd rather be just hiking or doing something like sure know, that's wind powered as opposed to like electric motor. You know. Yeah, sure. I will say that the electric board community is pretty cool. Um, they're very supportive, and there's a lot of people that are getting into those sports now, and that's why we kind of wanted to explore that. I got a buddy. And of this mine. is off road, even right. So this isn't like you're bombing around a city sidewalk. This is a, like off road right. on a mountain bike track, right? Yeah. So so we went to this place um, that has a slalom course, has a bunch of mountain biking trails, and we wanted to kind of put the one wheel and the mountain board through its paces. And to give you kind of an idea of what a mountain board is, it's always been sort of a fascination of mine, even before the technology was there, to do something like this. Like, how cool would it be to snowboard during the summer? Because right? you're skiing, you're ski biking in the winter, like you mentioned on the episode. But that's fairly new, too. Yeah. I actually didn't even really know about ski biking till a couple of years ago. This electric mountain board idea I've been wanting to do for, I don't know, 10 years, but there was no real technology that was allowing people to do that in a way that was accessible. And now the technology is there. I mean, basically what, what this uh, electric mountain board is, is it's uh, like a snowboard with camber, right? So it's, it's kind of bendy. You got bindings that you strap into and it's got trucks with suspension and big knobby like four wheel drive tires and a big battery in the middle 
with a wand that connects via Bluetooth and goes 30 miles an hour. It's beast. It's awesome. And yeah, there's a learning curve to learn how to, to ride it. But some people, and I don't uh, discriminate whether you're more of an e-biker, right? Or a regular mountain biker, because a lot of regular mountain bikers are like, oh, we don't like these e-bikers. You know, they have a motor that it's too easy for them or whatever. But the way I look at it is there's a time and place for everything. Yeah. Right? yeah. What about like a, what about like a longboard, an off-road longboard that you can just go downhill on? That's kind of what this is right because it's not super short you can it's just take the, we could just take the motor out of yours ground if that's a problem and just push you down the hill yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, i don't want to i'm not putting my two legs on anything well, we just I, need to carry i'm not it. a skateboarder surfing guy or a, or a snowboarder like i i'm i grew up on skates and skis yeah so my feet need to be apart, apart? well darren besides that's called- besides the water skiing like that's the only time i really put my mm-hmm. feet together you like whore. that they don't go together either. <laughs> they can't put my feet together either. darren that's <laughs> called calves are too big. just mountain boarding so there is a sport that's called what mountain i mean that's boarding. what i'm yeah that's what i'm and, getting at. and there isn't an electric mountain board, yeah, yeah and that's exactly what you do you hop on a skateboard that's a little bit big. It's a little it's bit like bigger a four than by a four skateboard. skateboard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of that sport's been around for a long time. But what about when you want to go back uphill? What are you going to well, just? You just you know. But take the, take the, take the, the chairlift. What about uh, mountain skiing? Why don't we make him some mountain skis where we put one foot on each board? Like roller that's blade, called, like four that's, by four roller blades. That's called I have a rollerblading <laughs> joke, but I'm not going to say it on the show. <laughs> I'm going to start rollerblading again. I have... What's the hardest part about rollerblading? Uh... Telling your parents you're gay. <laughs> 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 not that there's anything uh, wrong with that. Uh, I mean, we used to call them fruit the Seinfeld. Not, not, not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. We used to call them fruit boots back in the day. The fruit boots? Yeah. <laughs> I've I've tried it all. I, I skateboarded. I was a when skateboarder I was, when I was a kid, so we had a real hate. We hit on the rollerblades and the, the, the half pipe and stuff. That was fun, you know. I, w- I wasn't wearing Daisy Dukes or anything like that. I but, used to wear you know. pretty short shorts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He still wears yeah. short shorts. Dude, some of the shorts <laughs> he shows back, up here man. with are fucked up. I'm just like, really, man? <laughs> Even the shorts he's back. wearing right now are questionable. <laughs> 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 They're questionable. I'm telling you. It's upper to mid-thigh. It's not right. It's not right. Uh, Where can people find the show and track you down? Yes. We got we got to talk about something else first. Okay. Not, oh, yeah. your UFO. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. We got. I mean, you're not telling all these, your like, story. No, I'm not telling my story. <laughs> but one of the interesting things before we get all your links and all that sure. kind of stuff, like, is the people that meet Randall and that come on these trips with us, and and we've had some time to get to know you. And Darren took us for an awesome drive through the mountains. Grizzly bears. Grizzly bears and mountain. What were they again? Mountain goats. What were they? Sheep. Yeah, sheep. I always get that wrong. You're the most like. Anti-wilderness person I know. <laughs> so, I mean, big that was horn, big horn sheep. Right? Uh, I yeah. mean, we got to see a grizzly bear from like 10 feet away. I'll be posting the video and, and some pictures of that on uh, the channel. Yeah. And so they can see that because that was what, as close as we're going to get to a grizzly bear without it attacking hopefully. us. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. yeah. You don't want to get any yeah. closer than yeah. that. No. Yeah. No. That was incredible. And it was a uh, uh, a female and Sal, cubs too. With yeah, three so. cubs. Yeah. The females are three to four fifty, and the males are like six hundred to nine hundred. So wow. three times yeah. the size. Yeah. No, yeah. thank you. Yeah. So you think three times the size of that, and you know maybe there's your Sasquatch. 
walking no, around. No, no, dude. You can tell the difference in a like bear and a Sasquatch. It's like 16 feet tall. Oh, my God. Dude. Can you? How many Sasquatch have you seen? Yeah, I was just going to ask that. <laughs> I've seen a Sasquatch trap. I've actually been inside of it. That's the one in uh, Oregon. What's in there for? I've always been fascinated by the, the What's metaphysical or the, yeah. um, the, you know, the kind of like the fringe, the occult. You know, this word occult gets a negative connotation, but all the word occult means is hidden or hidden knowledge. You know, if you look up the definition and some people think, well, occult means satanic or it's evil or, or whatever, but that's not necessarily true. Now you can take anything and put a spin on it any way you like, but I've always been fascinated by like, you know, what if there is Sasquatch? What if there is UFOs and aliens visiting us? I mean, I think we all have this visceral connection to why are we here? Where did we come from? It's that age-old question, right? So th- those are some of the questions I've always been, you know, asking and, and kind of searching for the answer. And don't you guys go into a lot of that on yeah, your podcast? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I mean, that's what's interesting about meeting people through Randall even and, and the events we do. And they've you can talk to them about all this stuff. Most of the people have these UFO experiences or most of the people have had some sort of high strangeness or paranormal or at least are interested in this stuff with an open mind, you know? Yeah. It's, it's amazing to me. So we're talking to you and you're talking about UFOs and all these, you know, theories that we have. And you're telling me how you, um, talk to Bob Lazar even, I mean, this is like, I mean, so it's pretty fascinating, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, my whole UFO fascination started probably in like 98, I, I used to go into this place called Boulder Video and rent these VHS, uh, you know, like in a book. And I just grab a couple of them. And I remember watching that Bob Lazar UFOs in Area 51, which was sort of his like scientific dissertation on how the technology works, Element 115. And now he's pretty famous, you know, not only for being the one to kind of leak out the information that he back engineered alien technology at Area 51, but, you know, He's been in that that documentary that's been on Netflix. He's been on Joe Rogan. And he's not someone that usually likes to do interviews. Well, this was in 2004, I want to say. It was 24. Yeah, something like that. 2004. Um, Well, I was 24 years old. And uh, I was on lunch break. (laughs) And I was bored. And I called up Bob Lazar. He wasn't hard to get a hold of back then. He had a company called United Nuclear. And if you were like into that lore and listen to Coast to Coast, I used to love listening to Art Bell and Coast to Coast and George Norrie. You know, I really love those shows because once again, you granted there's crackpots everywhere, right? So it was hard to get like, what's the real information? But there obviously is seeds the truth that underlie all of this, which is the thing that's so fascinating is I always say, if even 1% of this is true, just 1%, that blows the whole thing wide open because then you can't deny that, you know, we're being visited in some way, or, you know, there's the government's involved in some conspiracies or some cover-ups, you know? So yeah, I just uh, called up Bob Lazar and I, it was just, you know, asking him questions. Well, what, did and, you, what did you say when you're like, yeah, hey, it's uh, Kevin. Do you got a couple minutes or? Yeah, kind of. And and I think I just approached it from a very humble manner. Like, hey, you know, I've been really fascinated by your work. And I, I really just had some questions that were 
you know, burning me up that I wanted to know about your story. And he gave me like 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes. I didn't write anything down. I just asked him, you know, some questions. The biggest one, which I come to find out, was actually somewhat confirmed by some other stories uh, years later. And one of those stories was, where's the evidence of S4? You go on Google Images. At the time, it was Google Earth was like very primitive or like Google just maps or whatever. It was pretty primitive. Now, like you go there and type in Area 51, you can see like probably like someone's arm hair. You know, I mean, there's like a lot there. Obviously, you're just seeing hangers. You're not seeing anything in the hangers or whatever. But, you know, in the area of S4, which, you know, a lot of your listeners are going to know about S4, so I won't have to go into what that is. But I was looking for the doors. I was looking for some sort of evidence to prove that what he was talking about was actually true. Like if we could at least pinpoint that there is this base that's super secret, that's a little ways away from Area 51, and there was just even a shred of evidence there, that would add validity to his story. So one of the things he says is that they would have the buses come in, park, and when they would drop everybody off and the bus would leave, they would brush over the road so that it would blend in with the surroundings so that when the Russian satellites would go by, you wouldn't see anything that was there. Because what's the easiest way to see if there's some sort of base or some sort of facility? Now it's probably hide in plain sight or obviously hide underground. But if you had something like a base like that, you would hide the road to it. You would hide the tracks, right? So I asked him specific questions about that, and he explained to me exactly how they did it and when they would do the test flights. And so shortly thereafter, probably a couple years after, I find out about this story, which you can look up online. I don't have the links or anything, but it was, I think, an archaeologist got either permission or didn't have permission and hiked into the backcountry from the other gate of Area 51 with a couple of students, I believe, looking for something from like an indigenous tribe that was in the area a long time ago. Well, he was camped out there and he, it was undetected by anybody that was there. And he got what he needed to get. But he said that throughout the night in that exact area of Papoose Lake that he saw very, very bright lights shining from the mountainside. And so that's one other story to kind of corroborate, you know, Bob Lazar's story about this specific spot in Papoose Lake where, you know, the doors were covered up with, you know, whatever the earth material is in the desert there so that it hides, it camouflages it. And at night they open up and they do whatever tests that they're doing when they know there's no satellites that, that go by. So, yeah. So S4 was supposed to be in the mountain there then? The, the... So S4 was supposed to be this underground base <laughs> that goes down many, many levels And the top level was sort of like the hangers for all of these craft that apparently they were back engineering. 
And so these doors, and there was nine hangar doors, they would open up. And when those doors would open up, the craft would come out to the lake bed and do its maneuvers and do its test flight and then sneak back in and the doors would close. And because the doors were camouflaged like the desert, when the satellites would go by, they would never see anything was there. Did he sound pretty genuine? Or? I completely believe his story yeah now and even even now since he's been on jerry and there's been more publicity i didn't need that yeah i i like i said i i talked to bob lazar personally and from a you know a perspective like me and you were talking right so it wasn't like at a conference when he was you know got all these people coming up to him fans so i i could listen to his voice tone i could listen to the way he answered his stories and i always said this either one he's a faction of the government and this has been completely a back uh, a, a, a disinformation story the whole time and he's got his story down perfectly two he's an amazing actor and has never broke character it, it just over this amount of time there would be something that people could put holes in his story you know and I, there's a lot of stuff that happened with him but when you have people like um uh, John Lear and and then you know who's the guy from uh, Las Vegas uh, the famous reporter, the guy that did the Andres broke, Thompson. Broke, no, he broke the actual Bob Lazar story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember and he name. still believes him to this yeah, day. And yeah. that guy is a journalist, yeah. right? He he's been able to vet him out in so many ways. And even when they were filming the documentary about the Element One Fifteen, and he gets raided, you know, all that was really captivating and interesting in that documentary. But I kind of believe this story before before that, right? And I believe his story in the sense of what he saw and what he did, he believed, right? I can't prove that there's aliens visiting us and the government is, you know, there's there's a lot there and there's a lot of disinformation. So it's very interesting to talk about, but we can't say definitively for a fact because we don't really know, right? We can just kind of go on a gut hunch, if you will. And for me, I think it would be very... Uh, narcissistic for us as humanity to think that we haven't been visited by something in the past or today, yeah. whether that be a spiritual dimensional aspect or nuts and bolts, you know, aliens coming, other life forms coming to, to this planet to visit for whatever reason. Right. Yeah. George Knapp was the guy. That's who, him, who George Knapp. Him. Yeah, exactly. A lot of respect for him. You know, he probably put his career on the line at the time to break this story. And probably a lot of people thought he was a crackpot because, I mean, what's interesting is back in the 70s, there was a program called MKUltra, which was a mind control experiment program that the government did. And this is not a conspiracy. Uh, this actually happened and they actually got caught with a lot of these, um, you know, experiments that they were doing. And I guess they either went underground or they stopped the program, but that was the time that psychologically they coined the term conspiracy theorist. 
And so now there's always been this bad connotation whenever the media or someone puts, oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist. Well, I think we know within even the last few years that there's a lot of things that have happened that either the media spun weird or there was a conspiracy and it really came out to be true, you know, and that happens a lot, whether it be, you know, for things like the government, politics, you know, whatever it may be that happens. So I think the thing is, is we need to be open-minded and have these conversations, right? Yeah. Because this is how we're going to kind of get to the closer truth, if you will. What do you think of the last few years in ufology? I mean, it's it's come quite a ways, right? I mean, it's almost accepted now that there's this this thing, the government's kind of admitting it, saying they want more funds to research it, and yet there's a whole... I mean, now the UFO community doesn't believe what they're hearing in a way, you know, like doesn't trust the government on it. I don't either, Yeah, to be honest with yeah. you. I think that they... If all this is true, right? If we go back to this whole story with Bob Lazar, let's just take it for face value. Let's say it is true. The government knows all this. Why are now they... Unless... Well, some makes, factions of it. I some mean, factions, to, yeah. Comp- yeah. Compartmentalized. Yeah, and, but... Yeah. But I would say that um, we're at an era now where they're trying to maybe desensitize us to it yeah. because they want to start putting out that information, right? That That's a possibility. Or, you know, I mean, there's wild stories like we've made treaties with, you, you know, I mean, you could get so deep into the UFO lore. And like I said, I've dug deep into a lot of that, the occult, you know, UFOs, ancient knowledge. Uh, you know, some of the, the ancient teachers, you know, um, Egyptology, all of that stuff. And we don't really know where the truth is, right? But we can kind of look at all things that have happened over the course of the last, you know, thousands and thousands of years. And, and there's evidence to, to make us question what's really happening, right? Well, are we coming to this crossroads right now where we're going to be sort of uh, exposed to whatever this phenomenon is in the public eye. And the government now is sort of planting the seed. That's my big question right now is how is the phenomenon going to respond to this many people now being interested or believing or hearing about it that never heard about it before? Like there's a mass formation happening in a way. And a formation is probably not the right word, but a mass collective... Consciousness, on it, right? You know, mass <laughs> awakening. You know, the great awakening. So how this, how does the like, phenomenon oh my respond God, they to They don't that? even know if they're boys or girls anymore. How does the, <laughs> <laughs> oh, how does the phenomenon respond? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting because you sit back and forever. Anybody that had some sort of UFO encounter, and I don't judge. You know, one thing you learn. Uh, I think in life is that if you go through life judging people constantly, it's just a very myopic way of looking at things. And so if you don't judge and you're just open-minded, even when someone comes up to me and they're like, I'm from the Pleiades, I'm like, hmm, interesting. Why do you say that? And sometimes, you know, I always say you can learn something from anybody. You can learn something from a two-year-old if you just watch that two-year-old, you know? And so a lot of the times, you know, you look at these cases of, of people having these experiences, right? And you want to believe them. And it could happen that, you know, I want to argue that this phenomenon is spiritual. And there's some sort of 
dimensional aspect to it. And you sit back and you look at what these pilots are seeing that is undeniable proof that there is some sort of object that is uh, defying the laws of physics. And now there's factions in the government that are actively putting this out that the media is blasting to us that that reality exists. Okay. Right. But we don't have anything else that is accepted so far past that. Yeah. It's like, it's left on the table. It's like, okay, here's the technology. Here's a video that you can kind of see this Tic Tac. Yeah. But, what do you think it is? And all this what, other metaphysical know? stuff is not accepted. Any kind of spiritual stuff is not accepted, right, in a way. It's, it's, it's bringing us into more of a sort of technological aspect of the phenomena or of mysteries or, you know. And to be honest with you, that's kind of what hooked me. I think it hooks a lot of people. I th- I don't know what it is. Maybe maybe there's something to do with like female energy the and tech male part energy. You or the tech part? Yeah, or the, or the spiritual and part? I think that maybe male energy is more drawn towards like the toys of war, which is terrible, right? But I was watching a documentary the other day on like um, the history of battleships in the Navy, and it's fascinating to me. You know, I've always been fascinated by that, and I think that's one of the things. You know, growing up as a kid is we were always like, let's play war or let's play. Granted, we didn't know how terrible war was when we were kids, but there's something in us that wants us to go, you know, explore. Yeah, you know, dude, that's I still play D&D. attractive. Yeah. That's what D&D I is. A, it's the big battle. I good have versus a collection evil. of weapons. I don't play with them. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, you, know, <laughs> you talk about people that come back from like Vietnam or war, you know, they are, they're changed forever. It's not something you want to do, but that's what fascinated me is sort of the, the weapon of war, if you will, of like what a UFO could yeah. be like yeah. as far as the technology. And I mean, this goes all the way back to world war two, you know, the name Foo Fighters. Yeah. Right, the band Foo mm-hmm. Fighters. Their name comes from yeah. these mysterious glowing orbs that the pilots in World War II would see, and they they coined the term Foo Fighter. Yeah. So, have you seen anything yourself? Or? I have not, and I don't want to, because I don't think I'm prepared for that. Because, like I said, I think it's kind of a spiritual uh, experience. You know. Okay, so you hear people talk about that they were able to communicate with these craft. Did, haven't you had a story? Where yeah. Well, you... I've, I've had lots of experiences where we go out and try and make contact and we make contact with something. Yeah. You know? I mean, not necessarily a, a being landing in the circle and talking to or us. Or at but... all like that. Definitely. <laughs> well, some people have, have, have experiences, sub their own subjective experiences, but as far as like a mass objective experience, not quite. I'll but definitely the, flash bulbs and lights quite. and streakers and and that's how you're phrasing that. And low low <laughs> flyers and all that stuff. But I'm, I'm saying no, like no mass objective being climbing out of a craft in our circle, that kind of thing. It hasn't been that. Yeah, hasn't but, been that tight. But it's been there's definitely been something communicating, and I don't know what that is either. I still don't know what it is. Yeah. And I but I know that we've been asking in a loving way for an ET just to simplify it as much as possible, right? right? We're not asking for interdimensional fucking entities or whatever. It's, it's like, Hey, we, we think there's 
people watching and they can come here and they can come here in an instant and visit us. And that's what we ask for in a loving intention. Yeah. With love in your heart. Like true, like, you know, skin or else. (laughs) So, but I don't know. Right. I mean, yeah, but that's a good way to go into any situation is is put out that energy. You know, I always kind of look at it. If I'm going to contact something spiritual, I want to try to contact God. Yeah. I, I I don't want to contact something else that I don't know. And I think that's the other thing that's, it's fascinating, but it can also be scary because let's say this is some sort of phenomenon that is partly dimensional, is partly a visitation of some sorts, because we don't really know, right? I mean, it could be that they're androids, uh, they're not even real, you know, creatures or whatever but but we don't know their agenda and we don't understand why they're here or what they're doing and to me i think that's where the fear comes and i'll be honest you know like i'm not going to be the type of person that's like i'm not afraid of certain things and that's i think a fear is that complete unknown there's very few things on earth that you even a grizzly bear if you're standing face to face with a grizzly bear, right? And you don't know what's going to happen. I think that'd be drastically different than being standing face to face to some sort of gray in the middle of the night. That's like paralyzing. You. Oh yeah, dude. The, people uh, talk about no. the unreasonable fear the that happens. I'll take right? the alien it's... over the bear. Probably. I really? Mean, See, oh, everybody's dude, different. The bear's a coin toss. The alien's like, probably not real. So, <laughs> 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 I see why Dar- Darren's here on this podcast. He he's the the you know the oh, comedy. Yeah, totally. he th- we get all we're, we're deep and serious. Are you calling me a joke? No, <laughs> no. I'm saying Even we're getting the- all deep and serious, and then you lighten it up for us. You're yeah, like, you guys hey, are getting a little carried up. away. Yeah, 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 a too much. Even that guy in Montana, <laughs> I'm one the of our stops <laughs> you guys from kissing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I didn't wear my rollerblades today. Or, or, yeah, ro- roller skates, yeah. Uh, I'm in a rollerblade over here. 556, Kevin gets canceled. <laughs> no, I mean, look, like I said, the, the great thing about Unpaved is I don't get into politics. I don't get into anything that's, you know, going to be controversial. My whole point of the show and the concept of what I do is I want to go travel around, explore these places and inspire other people to get out and to explore those too. It's that simple. And I think we need things like that when there's all this unknown and crazy, uh, you know, things that are happening in the world today, you know, we're in war, you know, we got pandemics, you know, the gas prices, there's all this stuff that's happening. People want an escape. And even the music that I write, I, when I go in, cause people ask me all the time, like, how do you write the music that's like electronic, but it kind of fits this like nature, you know, outdoor experience. I just think of what would someone want to listen to that would want to escape? What do I want to listen to, to escape? And when I'm in nature, I'm escape from all of the, the noise of, you know, whether it be politics oh, or, dude, you know, electronic music can be transcendental. I mean, it really can. Yeah, be. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And that was one thing that we did in Montana. That I thought was great. Randall busted out the drums and started drumming. And, you know, uh, the Snake Brothers are an incredible band. You know, their, their band is awesome. You know, um, speaking of bands, where can our listeners find your music? 
Yeah, so you got a bunch of music, got a release coming out. Yep. There's a bunch of stuff coming out. Let's make sure we get all those links. Yeah, for sure. So Unpaved TV, if you go to YouTube and you just type in Unpaved TV, that's the Adventure Travel all Show. All one word. Uh, well, just Unpaved and then Space oh, it TV. Is a space. There is a space. Yeah, it's... All two words. Yeah, Unpaved TV is the Adventure Travel Show. And then we're now starting to release stuff on the music channel. Um, and that's unpaved music. So all you have to do is go to YouTube, type in unpaved TV, subscribe to that channel, and then go to unpaved music and search for that and subscribe to that channel. And then you'll get a mixture of all of the adventure travel stuff related to extreme sports and outdoor, you know, adventures. And then also the music side, which is, you know, taking the van that I built which is kind of like the party van, if you will. It's got a disco ball and lasers and speakers. And I take that up to like the top of mountains or on dry lake beds and really cool locations, write a song a couple days before, and then do a live performance there. So that would be how you find me on uh, Unpaved Music if you want the music stuff. Awesome. So, or maybe down in Shasta. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be down to do Shasta. I think that would be great. Um, I have a release coming out on July 25th called Beautiful. That's going to be on Tiesto's label Black Hole. And I'll be promoting that. That'll be on the channel. We're probably going to do a special video for that. And uh, that'll be my first release um, from all this music that I've been working on. And then the big kind of picture with this is to invite all of you guys to the unpaved experience and what that's going to be is a set of all original music that i perform out in an incredible place somewhere probably like on the edge of a cliff somewhere some awesome geology some really cool uh you know scenery and then the next day we're all going to get together and we're going to either do some extreme sports or the people that don't want to do that maybe we'll do some hiking exploring and maybe we'll have people you know such as your guys self and randall and you know people can learn about the geology in the area just basically a, a place for people to come together to have this communal adventure if you will and also have some entertainment to go along with it because i think that's what would be really great is to have an audience come along with us while we're filming the unpaved experience right sounds good so, yeah we're uh, okay so we're we're gonna get out of here support the show grammarica.ca slash support it'll be not a net regular outro because you can't really do a regular outro but we're not hanging up on someone usually we hang up on them, do the intro <laughs> we're not gonna do that <laughs> so uh what song are we gonna play out though uh we're gonna play out intervales and this is the live performance i did the day after i met randall carlson Right on. Nice, well, that's great. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Kevin. You're in town for a few more days yet, and maybe we'll get some footage of Graham doing some mountain biking yet. Check out the YouTube channel, subscribe, support all the stuff. Other than that, we love you guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>